Greetings and welcome to the Uncensored Humanity Podcast. If you're new to the show, this is a long-form podcast where I sit down with guests and we just have a conversation. Now, these conversations are not scripted. They are raw and real. There's no editing. So wherever they go, they go. So hopefully you guys will enjoy the conversations as much as I know that I will. This episode is brought to us by Mike the Strongman. Are you tired of getting your training and nutrition advice from someone with only a weekend certification? Then perhaps it's time to turn to someone with over 15 years of research-based experience. Mike the Strongman can help you with all your training and nutrition needs. Mike has a proven track record of getting results with his clients. Visit MikeTheStrongMan.com for more information or email Mike at MikeTheStrongMan at gmail.com if you're ready to take your performance to the next level. This episode is also brought to us by the Healthiest You Chiropractic Center. The Healthiest You Chiropractic Center in Strongsville, Ohio is dedicated to giving their patient community the highest level of healthcare. Their doctors have been trained on the newest and most innovative styles of chiropractic and rehabilitative treatments. From back pain to ankle strains, the Healthiest You has remedies for a variety of injuries. Are you looking to perform better in life and activity? Their team takes a wellness-based approach on health rather than only focusing on symptoms such as pain. Call 440-238-3338 or email them at thychiro, that's T-H-Y-C-H-I-R-O, at gmail.com for questions about becoming a patient. Now is a better time than ever to become the healthiest you. And last but not least, this episode is brought to us by CrossFit Strongsville. CrossFit Strongsville is a place where everyday people become heroes every day. Through qualified coaching, challenging yet modifiable exercise programming, and a supportive community unlike any other, members find a way to break through personal barriers physically, mentally, and emotionally. No matter what level you're at, from the very beginner to the elite, you'll find you receive great service from the moment you walk through the door, and we promise it will be one of the best hours of your day. Check out CrossFitStrongsville.com for more information and to sign up for a free one-on-one consultation with the owner, a 12-year veteran of the fitness and therapy fields. All right, folks, today we have another segment of American Honesty, and normally we have kind of interesting and sometimes political conversations, but today's a little bit different. We had Mr. Brian Carpenter with us, and he just kind of told his story, and I'll tell you what, it was such an interesting story, it just kind of took up a lot of the time and we like we had planned to kind of tell a story and then get into some other issues but it was such a fascinating story that the the three of us just got interested in what brian had to say and we just we just kept going and we were all in awe and it was it was it was an interesting podcast and i hope that you guys enjoyed it as much as we did we definitely had a great time so sit back strap in and enjoy our conversation Greetings and welcome back to another episode of the Uncensored Humanity Podcast. This is a special segment that we like to call American Honesty. I'm your host, Matt Hess, and for these segments, we, as always, we have back with us our co-host, Mr. Andrew Hoffman. What's up, everybody? And Mr. Jake Bible. Hello. And then today, we are interviewing, or have on the show, I should say, uh, Mr. Brian Carpenter. Brian, how are you doing, sir? Pretty good. How are you doing? Doing good. Welcome to the show. So if you guys don't know what this normally is, is we sit around, we bullshit, we have fun. There's no real script. There's no edits. It's just we're going to talk and see what happens. So, Brian, why don't you let the uh, listeners know a little bit kind of about you and your, your background a little bit. Okay. Well, obviously, I'm Brian Carpenter. That's my last name. 
I graduated, grew up, graduated from Ritman and graduated 2004. And so that's uh, Northeast Ohio. Yeah, right. Northeast Ohio. Yeah, right beside Worcester, where we're at here, in town next door, pretty much. And then just pretty much dedicated my whole life to joining the military, being in the military, and graduated in 04. Tried going in the middle of high school. Parents wouldn't let me, so I couldn't go. Tried to enlist in the military? Yeah, I tried doing that split, let you? split option program. That's wow. what it's called. It's where you go to boot camp your junior year summer, and then you grad go back to your senior year, graduate, then you go finish your advanced training or your job training, MOS or AIT, whatever they call it, yeah. for whatever branch. Well, my mom wouldn't let me because I need my parents' discretion to be able to do that while I'm in high school because I'm still under their care. And they wouldn't let me go because, of course, it's the time of war. So she, my brother already joined the Army and went to Iraq in 03 when they broke ground. So my mom didn't want me to go, so she wouldn't allow me. And then I waited in 04 when I graduated. I went, skipped everything, went straight to the recruiter's office. <laughs> like graduated, in. drove to the recruiter's office, yeah, and yeah. here we go. And then they uh, took me in. But unfortunately, they took me in at a full breakout of gutted psoriasis is what I have. It's not actual plaque psoriasis. It's more when I get upper respiratory infection or I get sick, I break out real bad and break out and can't really see it now because I haven't been sick or anything. But I break out real bad and they took me a full breakout and they literally looked at me like I was a disease and put gloves on and kind wouldn't of touch you, yeah, yeah. wouldn't touch me and they permanently medically disqualified me from going in the military and I figured I didn't understand at the point I was like okay well the army and marines wouldn't take me so I'll go to navy and of course they said no when I talked to the navy recruiter then was I mean air force and then I tried going back to Marine Corps for reserve and then Army for reserve. And then I sat in line for the Navy. And my Marine Corps recruiter walked by. He's like, Carpenter, what the fuck are you doing? Why are we allowed to cuss? Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <The internet>. <laughs> <laughs> please, you okay. please do. And he's like, Carpenter, what the fuck are you doing? I was like, it's my last hope. This is nobody else to take me. So I'm going for the Navy to see if they can take me. He's like, get in my office. So I went and sat in his office. He pulled out this big old fucking book out of his desk and he started looking through it and he's looking at my paper that my medical disqualification and then he opened a page he's like all right what you're going to do you're going to go to ralph regular the congressman at the time from medina county and then go to your dermatologist and that's dr torak on here and there in medina she's a big old trillium creek i think is where she works Oh. But she wrote my waiver letter. She's like, oh, yeah, it's got a psoriasis. It's not a big deal. It'll go away. He goes tanning for a couple of weeks, and shit's completely gone. He can't even tell I have it. So I went straight to Ralph Regula to go get the waiver done, and he and his assistant or his little secretary or whatever wrote the waiver to MEPS, which is Military Entrance Processing Station or whatever the hell it's called. They, She said, okay, well, he's clear to join the military, allow him to join, and they finally got my medical di- permanent medical disqualification done, which I usually I usually carry it with me. I'm not sure if I have it, but then they lifted it, let me join the Marine Corps, and so therefore my dream was back alive and all that. But let me back up. The, the, when I say dream, when I was really little, I developed the military as a dream because my uncles fought in Vietnam, my dad's side, my mom's side, my uncles fought in Desert Storm. And then my grandpa fought in World War II. So, so a long lineage yeah. of military yeah, yeah, history. Yeah, because yeah. that was, the family, that was yeah. kind of my first question was going to be why the 
you know, yeah, the, go, dream. the dream of the military, mm-hmm. even as far back as trying to get out of high school. And your family doesn't have to push you like that. You yeah. can just watch growing up. It's yeah. just all the honorable people you see in your family. Yeah. And that's, family members like that. It's that's the same exactly way, yeah. what it was. I've seen how they presented themselves, how they acted, how they were. And that's how I wanted to be. So, of course, <clears throat> middle school, military, 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 then all through high school, all my projects, everything I talked about, all everything was all military. I quit playing sports. Because I wanted to focus on military and just, I didn't care about sports. Really? So you didn't even play sports through high school or anything? Well, I, I played football, basketball, baseball. I played all sports growing up. And then after my freshman year, I'm like, I need to focus on the military. And so you were just like, all like that. running, getting ready, doing like mm-hmm. PT kind of stuff? Yeah, yeah. Did you Man, do like, what do you want? Yeah. Did you do any like kind of like group training? I know a lot of times with my high schools, like the military sometimes come in, like, you know, twice a week, they'll go for a run together and they'll like, you know, like hang out together and talk about what they need to do to get ready for basic training or what have you well ritman is small like i'm not sure if everybody's smaller than yeah. seville small as seville i mean it's it's like a mini city. wadsworth kind of yeah, yeah, it's yeah, like yeah a, it's some, really, yeah. some people who aren't they from this know. area they may not yeah. know yeah. any of that yeah it's yeah. city population village. or city yeah, it's a, it used to be ritman yeah. exempted village and now it yeah. just barely wretched population yep. to turn into city but my graduating class was only 84 people. Okay. And yeah. so it's it's time. We didn't have a wrestling team because we were so small, and we didn't even have enough players for freshman JV and varsity on football. So freshman, I joined JV, and then varsity, I had to switch out with JV on varsity games, and that's how small it was. So we didn't have, like, recruiters coming in much and all that stuff because not many people really cared. So yeah. pe- people knew Ritman for Morton Salt and yeah. Morton Salt and, and drugs. Salt. Yeah. And <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't going to say it because I used to live on Villa Street, so I know yeah, all about yeah. it. So, I mean, yeah. I, yeah, and everybody ruined their lives by yeah. hanging out in yeah. Ritman too long. Okay, yeah, so you, you quit playing sports to focus on the military. <clears throat> yeah, I just So, so what did you do then to focus to get ready? I literally had everything memorized, all ranks, most jobs, military time, like everything a military man would know being in the military, I already knew. So, like, um, and I know you said, like, how your parents were, they obviously weren't um, on board with you, you know, doing that early enlistment. But how were they support-wise as far as, like, you, you know, obviously sh- demonstrating the way you were living your life? Like, hey, this is this is the inevitable. This is where I'm, this is what's happening. Yeah. Well, that, that's why, that's why, okay, now we're going back forward where I was saying, my dad always supported me in anything I decided, no matter what. Yeah. He's all just that's just what I wanted, so he supported me for doing what I want. Makes me happy. Uh, of course, he didn't want to see me go, but he just said he was proud of me, and yeah. I was gonna make a good Marine and all this stuff. And my mom, of course, didn't go over too well with her. She Moms didn't, don't like that kind of. She stuff. She didn't like yeah, the idea. No, of that. <laughs> no okay. yeah, she would not. Even she, even when I was already enlisted, she still didn't support yeah. it. It's like she was totally against it, thinking I might change my mind and bail on him and not fulfill yeah. my enlistment and yeah she would not be supportive but then eventually she's like well there's not, nothing i can do yeah. so good luck have fun you know, I, I support you and all that so was a military from more than the military from her side of the family or from your dad's side of the family like uncles and things like that grandpa it's was it or is it a mixture of both a mixture of both okay, yeah cool. my, my grandpa and my vietnam <laughs> vets were my dad's side gotcha. and it was desert storm on my mom's side okay. and not as much military history on my mom's side, because yeah. my mom's side's Becerra, last name Becerra, that's Mexican. Okay. My yeah. great-grandpa came from Mexico, okay. and I'm not sure if he's one of the border hoppers, where, you know, all that, I don't <laughs> he know. He got over here somehow. That's yeah, he got matters. over here legally, yeah. and that, that's how my family started on my mom's side. 
Then I, I call. I tell everybody I'm a Mexibilly because my, <laughs> <laughs> my mom's side from Mexico, my dad's side from Charleston, Boomer, West Virginia, and uh, all that. So I'm like, you got Mexican, you got hillbilly. So I'm a Mexibilly. Mexibilly, <laughs> yeah. And they, yeah. So they finally February February sixth came around 2005 after all the battling and depression and started working a full time. That's when we started hanging out. Jake yeah. was when I was working that full time job at uh friction products there in madonna lake road and i was living with ernie on the old guy yeah the old guy yeah. on with the big old dog old dude or whatever yeah. yeah and that was uh i was working seven days a week third shift and that's all i went to because college wasn't an option nothing was an option except military so then when it fell out from underneath my feet i had nothing else to turn to so i started working factory job not saying it's bad to work factory but that was not what my dreams were so I was working seven days a week, third shift, and then partying with Jake all the time and being stupid and my little decked out red Civic. Everybody likes partying with you, Brian. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get that right. Yeah. So then finally, I after all that <clears throat> battling and the misdirection I was in, they accepted me and I was just happy to fulfill my dream. I had my whole freaking life pretty much. And then February 6th came around, shipped out for boot camp, three months of boot camp, one month of combat training after that, and then one month MOS, which is Military Occupational School, which was my job. Yep. I, was, yep. I was Motor T. I was a Humvee driver, seven-ton driver, and then came home, checked into my unit, and first day, checked into my unit, talked to my captain. He's like, or my major, I'm sorry, my major, he's like, what do you think about going to Iraq? I'm like, well, I wanted to say... I didn't go through all this intense training to go grocery shopping with my grandma. Yeah. <laughs> I, didn't, I, I didn't go through all this intense training to stay stateside, so I, w- I want to go. And it's like, that's, I was a boot, so I didn't want to push my luck with getting sarcastic with my, oh, yeah. my freaking CO. And then he's like, all right, well, we're deploying in a few months. You're going. I'm like, <laughs> oh, damn, that was easy. Wow. <laughs> Checking my unit. I'm already getting yep. deployed out. And this is 06 by 05, and then we shipped out. December 1st to Fort Devens, Massachusetts, where it's an old army base back in the day. It's now like a reserve station or something like that. Did you guys have a work up there? Do what? Did you guys, did you guys have a work up there? Yeah, we are one oh. month up there, and we shipped out on December 1st, and we were doing desert training in mid-freaking winter. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it was bullcrap, because it was like freaking six, seven inches of snow, and we're doing our hump we call them humps that's where we put all our combat shit and all our road and we'd march and we'd do all our missions and all that stuff middle of dead ass winter and then of course my dumb ass slipped on ice with all my combat load and i tried breaking my fall with my hand and snapped my and i broke the bottom piece of my thumb and went into a cast so i'm like oh god i'm not even made it to combat and i'm already freaking getting injured (laughs) So then I was like, they were talking about not letting me go because that was my firing hand. Mm-hmm. I couldn't fire a weapon because I, I tried letting it go for a day or two, and it was like completely swelled. And I was shooting the gun, and every time I'd shoot my M16 even, it, the, the little tiny recoils hit my thumb every time. I was like, I can't even shoot. So like, yeah, you need to go to sick call, which is medical. Go to sick call, go get your thumb checked out. So they took me in, like, yeah, you broke the inside bottom piece of your knuckle, and they're like, you got to go on a cast. So then they were talking about not letting me deploy now, because what good is a Marine? I can't shoot a freaking weapon. Yeah. I'm like, I, I can't do that, man. I just dreamed. My brother broke ground in Iraq in 2003, and he, it was uh, 4th ID, which is, he was Fort, Fort Hood, Texas. They caught Chemical Ali when they was over there, mm-hmm. and he, he actually arrested him himself. 
So I was like envious of him. Like he's, <laughs> I'm like I I want to be there. I want to be going, being that big old badass marine in combat. And then uh, so I was like I was my dreams were getting taken away from me again. Yeah. I'm like so no. I was like I want to go. I was like I don't care. Maybe I'll go. I won't do missions until I can shoot. And then two three weeks into training, the cast came off. And then finally I was able to shoot and I was fine. So they said I can still go because I still asked them to let me continue the training and see where I end up before we deploy. Because after that one month in Fort Devens, Massachusetts, we did a three-month Mojave Viper, is what they call it, it's in the Mojave Desert, Southern California. That was the fucking awesome, intense part. Well, that's when I healed. I was like, let me continue. If I'm good, we'll just continue with that. So I got four months to heal from my broken broken hand or broken thumb. And then if I can't do it, then I won't go. Then if I can go, then perfect. And luckily, that first month we were in Mojave Viper, I was, fan- I was fine. I was firing. I was doing the f- 50 cal, 50 cal. The moth dude. Yeah, I was, yeah, I was shooting. <laughs> I, I was fine. I was like, I'm totally good. So we did our three months in Mojave Viper, which, lucky for us, Mojave Viper, I guess, to the unit that we replaced in Iraq, they said Mojave Viper, 29 Palms, Mojave Desert, is way worse than Iraq. Because they were in the summer in their Mojave Viper, and we were in the winter. Oh, that's true, yeah. Yeah, so it wasn't even bad when we were there. We're like, oh, this desert is awesome. And then when we get to Iraq, they're like, dude, they all were crying. They were all like, didn't want to go to Iraq because they were in Iraq in the cold season. So they switched from hot in America and then was deployed in the cold season. So they didn't really deal with the heat over there. Well, we were in the cold in America, and then we went to the hot part of Iraq. And they said Iraq... Nothing compared to the Mojave Desert. Hmm. I was like, okay, well, we wouldn't know because Mojave Desert was pretty mild for us. So we get to Iraq. We went from California to Maine, Maine to Ireland, Ireland to Kuwait, Kuwait to uh, TQ, TQ in Iraq. That's the main air base that everybody flies into. Okay, now how long did that process take? A long time. <laughs> I, don't, I mean, of course, we're all going to combat, so we don't even know if we're making a bag, so our minds are gone. That whole few day flight to get to Iraq, it seemed like only seemed like a couple hours because everyone, your mind is just cranking and just like, oh, you get. What are you thinking about at the time? Like, I mean, it's like, are you just reviewing training or you just? It's it's more thinking about real shit. I mean, what's what the hell did I get myself into? Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, that's what I'm wondering. It's a very human thing to think. I'm going to combat and I'm we're all expecting like. Call of Duty type of shit, mm-hmm. or the stuff you see in Hollywood movies where you jump off the plane, you get ambushed, and you're all <laughs> yeah. you know, everything like, you quote unquote know. Yeah, yeah, where like, everybody thinks they yeah, know off the of movies and yeah. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what our minds are at, and we're like, okay, I was like, my girl, did I tell my girlfriend I loved her? Did I spend enough time with my mom and dad? Did I did I tell my family that I love them? We're like, how did I treat my family? So then it's like your life is flashing. What you should have done, the type of one type of one of them things. It's more like. You don't realize you have until it's gone. Mm-hmm. Everything starts going in your head. Like, man, I should have done this. I should have spent more time with my mom. I should have spent more time with my dad. Should have knitted with my grandma to keep her just keep her busy. Like, you just did say shit to that you should have done in, on the way there. And then I flew into Kuwait, which is Camp Victory, I believe, as it was called. And as we were descending to land, there's a commercial airliner, too. Mind you that. We thought it was going to be like a C-130. Mm-hmm. We're all packed in tight like sardines with all our gear. But no, they took all of our gear, loaded on the plane. I think they had another plane with all the gear that we're taking. They had to load up on there because all of our gear 
on one of them huge ass. I can't even remember what size that plane it was. It was like four seats in the middle, three seats on the yeah, sides. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, all that plane completely full of Marines, all of our gear couldn't fit on the plane as well. It would be overweight and yeah. all that. So they had to take another plane to take our gear over with as well. But then when we landed in Kuwait, as we were descending down the landing strip, we seen kind of looked like a pyramid or something that Kuwait had and earlier in the war. So I'm there in 06 now. This is March of 06 that we're landing in Kuwait. And the war started mid-late year 03, I think it was. Mm-hmm. I think it was 03. I, can't, I think it was like mid-late year 03. So I'm a couple years from the war started. But you've seen when the war originally started in Kuwait, it was a kind of a hot spot. So we've seen some mortar rounds on these little pyramid-looking things as we're going down, and we're all looking at each other like, oh, man, we already got bomb holes and <laughs> bullet, uh, all this stuff. And we get off, and we, now mind you, it's eight hours ahead over the Middle East. Yep. So we, the time change and the weather change just destroys wrecks you. Wrecks you, and yeah. Weird, wrecks yeah. you. And they're like, so they give us a couple of days to <clears throat> adapt to it. So we're like walking around. The base, which was Air Force base, and everybody knows Air Force are are fucking spoiled. They got the nicest equipment. <laughs> night that just it's ridiculous. It's like five star living in the Air Force. There's a big Air Force base, so we're walking around base, and they got Burger King's little stands <laughs> and the USO. We walk in the USO. There's internet and phone. Now, mind you, back in '06, internet wasn't as easy as it is today. Yep. Yeah. So to have internet period was like holy shit. We got internet over here so and, long ago. Yeah, and then the phone, there's a phone center, so we can call home or whatever, and then, but then we had time limits on all that stuff, so we walk in and just laid out computers and phones, had this huge opening with, like, piles and piles of pillows and blankets for people just to jump in, like a, like one of them ball pits that kids jump in, that's what it looked like, with nothing but pillows and shit. I was like, god damn, these people are living in luxury up here. (laughs) I was like, man, if it's gonna be like this, Iraq's gonna be a joke. And then finally, after we adapted to it, we loaded on a C-130 and went from Kuwait to TQ. And that's where you think it was nervous going from stateside to Kuwait. It was 10 times worse. Now we're in a military plane, which is where Hollywood starts coming in. You're like, military plane, they get shot down, yeah, this and that. I'm a target now. So I'm, I'm sitting there like peeking out the window looking for explosions and firefights <laughs> and stuff like that. But C-130's away in the air and nobody can see a C-130. And so we landed in TQ, Altacatum, I think it was called. That's the main Air Force base in Iraq. That's where everybody's pretty much shipped out and all that stuff. And we get out and that's when the heat starts hitting. And I'm like, oh man, here comes hell. Here's misery. <laughs> so we're like all now, hanging How hot around. is it, roughly? Uh, around that time, I want to say 90s, 100s, yeah. around. Okay. And then, yeah, 80s, 90s, 100s. Nighttime was pretty chilly. Yeah. And daytime, it just got hot to the freaking desert. Yeah, so mm-hmm. it's, it's pretty common how that works. And then, so now we're we're all nervous. So we have to sit at TQ and wait for the convoy to come get us. Well, the convoy that was coming in, set, came in, was dropping Marines off that were going home. Okay. And then they come pick us up, and they know where are Obviously, know where your mind's at, especially being fresh in combat. Most of us has never been to combat in the, in the battalion. And he, they had to fuck with us. They're like... Of course. Yeah, so we all load up on the seven tons. We're all, like, tense and, like, just don't know what to do. And the guy steps on the, the back stairs, how we get in the seven ton. He's like, all right, devil pups. He's like, 
sit back and relax. He's like, if anything happens, don't worry about it. We'll take care of it. Just watch and learn devil pups. Have a good one. And then jumped out. So <laughs> then we're all like, oh, shit. Are we going to get some shit going yeah, on like, here? What happens? Is it common that <laughs> they get attacked everywhere we go? So then everybody was literally like the seven ton, the up armor, as we're sitting, came up here. And our helmets were barely able to clear the armor. So we're all like... I had a level just like watching the whole way and everyone's like got the rifle just getting ready to just unload on shit. <clears throat> so then we hear a firefighter gunshots from a distance on the from the seven ton. Obviously it wasn't anywhere close. But then we were like, oh shit, they're chasing us. It's one of them wild goose chases. Um, your mind, movies starts, your yeah. mind starts going all over. So they, yeah. all of our weapons are like, we're sitting <clears throat> all lined up on the seven ton just looking for something to fucking shoot. And I was like, well, something's going to happen. And then, then it got to the point where, like, I don't think anything's going to happen. And then I'm like, you know what? Maybe that was a setup. They're going to fucking hit us with a roadside bomb before we even get to oh, our gosh. base and get so on. So I'm like, I just don't want to die before I even get yeah. to the base. And if I'm going to die midway through deployment, okay, I, I died with honor. But I'm not going to get blown the fuck up <laughs> before I even get started in the <laughs> shit and then have a badass story. So then it was, uh, it was a couple hour convoy. To get us to Camp Barria, Fallujah, Iraq. Fallujah, of course, is where you're going to find the bloodiest battles of Fallujah. Iraq. Yeah. yeah. I know that. Damn. Yeah, Fallujah. That's the Ali Anbar province. I remember when all that was going on. Yeah, the, yeah, the push for Fallujah. Yeah. They call that uh, Phantom Fury. That was the bloodiest battle of Iraq. Uh-huh. That was in 04 or 05. That sounds... Brian's on here for a reason. Sounds right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So good, then... Good stuff. So, the, of course, we get to Camp Barria... And now we're we're in the shit now. So we're like, okay. So I remember, what was that? Force Gump? Not Force Gump. Yeah, Force Gump. How they're like, don't salute in the battlefield because a sniper knows oh, where the yeah, officers yeah, yeah. are. So I'm I'm like Force Gump mode or Full Metal Jacket mode. I'm like, oh man. So then we had a little little like a half-ass formation and all this stuff, and like, all right, welcome to the welcome to the shit, guys. Keep your heads on straight and keep your minds clear. And everything go good. And then he's like, but we're going to do left seat, right seat with the unit we're replacing, where we sit in the right seat, watch them in the left seat. And then for a week, and then after a week, we sit in the right seat, they sit in the left seat. So left seat would be like protect, more protected then? Is that what you're Well, no, left seat, they're on the driver's side. We're in the passenger side. We okay. watch them. It's kind of like a cop. If you, yeah, you're right. going to be a cop, you're going to watch him for a little bit. And then we switch to where we do it, and they correct us. So that was going all that. But then after the formation, we're like, okay. We are tent. We were staying in fucking tents, and that's in the middle of the goddamn heat with AC that broke every day because all the dust and the heat. Like the AC never works. We we're in big old tent. My whole freaking platoon. I don't say we had forty of us. Forty of us. And we're all just bunk, 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 bunk down. And I'll get into that story later. But then we're like, okay, we got we over there. We got to go through open fields and open, and we see this building outside and. So we're looking at shit, dashing, and dropping behind something. <laughs> and, like, we think a sniper's going to get us on base, just like you see in Hollywood. And then we finally, you know, zigzag and going back and forth, taking cover, running. And then we get to our tent, and the Marines that we were replacing, doing left seat, right seat with, they come out and start laughing at us. Like, what are you guys doing? I'm like, we're dashing, taking cover. Like, we learned, in, we learned it in training and all this stuff. And you're like... You guys get used to it. There's no harm on base. And I'm like, oh, complacency kills. And I just yeah. walked away, just <laughs> lighten the mood. I was like, I don't want to look like a jackass. 
So then we get, uh, then they <laughs> decided to split my platoon into different units. We had Alpha Bravo Charlie Company, the line, there's a line company, we were infantry battalion. So I was, we were headquarters and support. So we had to be attached to Alpha Company. They were, Alpha was down in Saclawea, Saclawea, Saclawea. That is midway between Fallujah and Ramadi. That's the other nasty part of Iraq. But we had a little town there that Alpha Company was based at, and we sent a couple of our guys to go be based with them and take them on their missions and provide security, all that stuff. So then Bravo Company was there's a train station on the outside of the city, and Bravo Company was in that train station. So we sent a couple of guys with them. And then Charlie Company was a crazy fucking company. They were that smap in the fucking middle of Fallujah. Literally, you walk outside your building, tall buildings all around. Like, the, they had the barricades <clears throat> up that cannot protect you from these tall-ass buildings. So, Charlie Company was based out there, and we sent our guys to go with them. And then there's a thing called Guard Force, which is eight hours of guard base and eight hours of QRF, which is Quick Reaction Force. So, if Charlie Company, Bravo, or Alpha Company had any trouble, then they would call QRF, and we'd rush out there right away. Yeah, who's already kind of staged and ready to go in, so it's not like you guys have to assemble. And yeah, yeah, no, we have to what QRF like, is. You were we're sitting ready. there, and you're like, you're yeah. ready to go into the yeah. shit. And eight hours, but usually... Instead of sitting there doing nothing, we were already out in the city doing missions and stopping at FOBs, which is four operating bases for you all don't know. That is little mini bases in the middle of the city where Alpha Bravo Charlie. Yeah. Yeah. So then there's called ECPs, which is entry control point. Every entrance into the city. You got the Euphrates River and you got the beginning of the city, which is closer to our base. And then there's other ways to get in the city. Then we're completely blocked off. And then every car had to line up every day. If you had to go out for work every day and come back into your city, you had to stop and get checked. Like, you had to get out of your vehicle, and then you had to get patted down. Or if you had a kid or a wife, they would have, like, an interpreter telling them to pull their clothes tight because we're not allowed to touch their women and children. Yeah. So we have to make a pull the clothes tight so we could see if they have anything strapped and, like, have them do this and move their arms up and down. So we had to search everybody in every vehicle coming into the city. And that was we would seems be, incredibly dangerous. I mean, that seems like that's where a lot of shit happens yeah. too. Yeah, yeah. Who's wearing what? <clears throat> exactly. And then what bomb? What cars? They know you're stopping a vehicle. You know, and loaded up with bombs, and then hit a button, blow up the ECP, which happened a bunch of times. And so they, we were already stopping all them, make sure they're all good. If in little missions here and there, we would go do. We had attached to a company that needed security, and would go provide security while they did a little search in a building or anything like that. So then that's who I got attached to. Eight hours garden base, which fucking sucked because we each, we were on Camp Barria, which was right next to Camp Fallujah. There was a military only load that road that connected the two bases. Well, this <coughs> Camp Barria is the units that run Fallujah only, which was us. Camp Fallujah has a whole Al-Ambar province. Like they, do convoy they go all over the region pretty much and so we were taking care of Fallujah but it was Uday and Kusay Hussein Saddam's son it was their party island it was literally had two walls went all the way around the perimeter of the base that was for them that was blocked off and private but they had their own stations to block the base and that was our post two-man post to guard the base it was I can't even remember how many miles long, 
It was each. Now is this square. after you guys? Is this after that you guys had overthrown them and taken control of the base, or is this? Yeah. Why the, okay. Well, we bombed the shit out of them at yeah. the beginning of the war, mm-hmm. and on the there's an island, there's a big old lake, and there's an island in the middle, yeah. which is obviously in Kusei's little pro- place, but it was completely blocked off because there's unexploded ordnance from when we dropped bombs on them. Oh, okay, yeah. So we didn't go. Nobody was based you know, on there. Still in there. And then we were on all these little posts. It's a big square. And there's a post on each corner, and there's a couple posts in between, and then there's the one entrance, and that was the main entrance that every, you had to clear with the people guarding it before you came in and all that stuff. So that was eight hours sitting there in the fucking heat and just lack of sleep because you had eight hours of that and eight hours of QRF after that. Yeah. So sitting that's around hours. doesn't help you stay awake. Yeah, especially in the heat <laughs> yeah. and being tired to begin with because you only had eight hours of eating, sleeping. Yeah. Phone center, computer center, anything you wanted to do outside of your missions, you had to do an eight-hour period. So, like me, I was, of course, I've always been a fitness freak. So, I'd always <laughs> go hit the gym. I'd go shower. Then I'd go to the go get some chow and eat some food. And I'd go to the phone and computer center. So, by the time I made it back to camp to sleep, I only had like four or five hours to sleep. And then I had to go start my day all over again. So, it was easy to drift off to oh, sleep. Yeah. was sitting there yeah. just watching nothing going yeah. on cars drive by watching the Iraqis take a shit in the street and keep going and trying to make jokes on each other playing practical jokes on the bases but we had a marine recon staff sergeant that was in charge of keeping guard force under under control and making sure the post rop runs running operable and he of course he's recon so the guy's fucking crazy miles around this whole base takes PT every day and jogs around the whole base so we don't know he's coming we have little code words we said on the radio as we know he was coming <laughs> but he would take a jog and he would sneak up on the bases and make sure we're not sleeping uh, and we're not dicking <laughs> off and he ca- he would catch everybody and it reminded us of boot camp how in boot camp you're dead tired every fucking day and so whenever you're in the the edu- education the knowledge part you're just wanting to fall you just drift off without even realizing it and the drill instructor there screaming at you right away, and that's exactly how he was. He's like a drill instructor, <laughs> fucking crazy. Gotta wake dude. you up, yeah. Yeah, and he would come up, and a lot of people got in trouble. They'd either, I'm not sure if anybody lost rank, but there'd there'd be repercussions right. if you were sleeping because what if someone did try to come sneak in on your part that you were sleeping on and then killed some Marines and stuff? So there was repercussions if you were caught <laughs> sleeping. But then the first pe- part he would stop at, they'd be like, "So you guys, anything going on?" That was our code word. Like, yeah, he's making his rounds now. <laughs> and then, yeah, because we were upstairs on the second level of the thing. So he would, you wouldn't even hear him. He'd just sneak in, come up, and he would be right by the doorway and listen to us talk. Yeah, or he's spying. like the dad. Yeah. Yeah. He, <laughs> yeah he, literally, this guy's nuts. Camp counselor. Yeah. But then we did, we played jokes on each other. We had uh, Aki and I'm trying to think of his name. It's so long ago. Aki was the guy who did it. But his buddy, his uh, guy garden base with them went down to use a shitter. We had a porta john set up below the base that we were guarding. So one person had to stay up while the other one went to the bathroom. And he got his little camera out because we didn't have cell phone, we didn't have smartphones, we didn't right. have all that. So we had actual cameras with video recording. That was our high technology back then. We had little actual photo yeah. cameras that had yeah. a video where, like, holy shit, you can do video and camera. Like an old Kodak things. or some shit yeah. or whatever. Yeah, uh, yeah I remember disposable <clears throat> cameras were the shit yep. back in the day too. But then, so he gets his camera out and recording, he's like, 
something, somebody, whoever that guy was, he's like, is in the port of shitter. This is a New England guy, so I'm going to talk in the New England yeah, accent. Yeah, he's, yeah, like, he's in the port of shitter. <laughs> he's like, I'm going to drop this sandbag down there and <laughs> see how it goes. So he looks over, points the camera down. It's right below his window. Takes a sandbag. He goes, here we go. Launches it. It seemed like a couple of seconds before that fucker hit the top of the the porta john. Oh and my god, dude! <laughs> it, dude hit it so hard, made a loud ass bang, and then he's like laughing as he's doing it, and he's sitting there, and the guy's like, "Are you okay?" He's like, and he's been quiet. He's like, and he's to bust out laughing. He's like, "Yeah, good." He's like, I "Just dropped the sandbag on you." He's like. Dude, you better not take a shit all fucking day. <laughs> yeah, man. He, he literally thought He's like in trouble. The the, the uh, how I told you, there's two different walls yeah. to separate outside. He thought because the porta john was on that last wall, <clears throat> he thought the port the fucking wall got hit by an yeah. RPG. Yeah, right. Because that <laughs> explosion going on. like you're just running out of the porta potty with no yeah. pants on. That'd be me. <laughs> <laughs> just falling out, crawling away. Oh, uh, it, it was hilarious. That's the type of pranks we played on. Yeah. Yeah. And then of course, in uh, the main entrance, and I think uh, guard post one. It's the main entrance. We had these kids that didn't live too far out from there. They would always walk up and fuck with people on the main entrance. They would come up and like, oh, what's this? They grab oh, yeah. your whistle. We had whistles. We had all our shit connected to our flak jackets and the waters and stuff from our MREs to eat. They'd be begging for food, begging for water, and then wanting to get your whistle. And the one guy, the one kid, it had I had a compass and a temperature or a freaking thermometer, not thermometer, a goddamn. Uh, Checks the heat. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, whatever the yeah. fucking thing checks the heat. You're gay, you're just reading. <laughs> it's reading it, yeah. Yeah, so uh, the kid goes, what is this? And blew on it, put his lips, and I, I looked at it, and it had a slobber on him. I'm like, well, obviously you can have this. Yeah. And I fucking <laughs> right, gave it to him. Yeah. And, uh, you don't know what kind of diseases them fuckers have over there. <laughs> and I was like, and plus, and that's the thing, that's the thing with their culture. When you call it, I mean, I'm not homophobic, or I don't hate gay people, but. They do. No, they do, yeah. Well, no, they Men are for pleasure. Women are for families. So it's normal for guys just to go fuck. Yeah. yeah regardless. Whoever, yeah. yeah. Wherever. Whoever. So I'm like, I okay. With all that shit going on, maybe I, I don't want to put no whistle in my mouth yeah. with this kid just threw out whatever. So I'll just give it to him. Like, yeah, here's some fucking water. Here's some food. Here's your goddamn whistle. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> but it was good because that was the only thing really keeping us awake yeah. was the annoyance from these little fucking kids. But then comes you don't want to babysit while you're over there you're either doing not only shit, that yeah. trying like, not to fall asleep but i'm thinking you know? like yeah. who's who's this kid working for you know right. i mean oh yeah mom and, dad, mom and dad could be fucking hate us right and then like well they would sacrifice their women and children well we read a lot of stories or we see the like you said hollywood mm-hmm. where it is i've heard a lot of people talk about that where it's fucking kids yeah don't, and you yeah. wouldn't expect it from the kid but their parents Sniper. i know how it goes yeah their yeah. kids their kids I've been there. Their parents been forced there, it on them, you know, and there you go. Yeah, so. and, and dad could be like, oh, son, go play with the Marines on the base. He's like, put this, this is a, this is a gift for him. Mm-hmm. And then put it on, fool the kid. The kid doesn't even know. I send the kid, and as soon as the kid starts talking, he calls the cell phone, oh. ignite it. So, but, uh, yeah, but supposedly that was year, or it's been, it's been quite a while, the kids were coming up and all that shit, yeah. so I said there was no... All right, but there was no a thought threat. in your mind, though, that yeah. had to be yeah. had it, to be there. Complacency kills. That's why I was with the complacence. We had a big old sign as we're leaving the wire. It says complacency kills because mm-hmm. you're the first motherfucker. Do a couple of missions, nothing goes on. Yeah. And then you put I, your guard down. You're like, ah, whatever, nothing's going to happen this time. Right. Shit goes down. 
Now you're double screwed because you weren't prepared for it and you weren't ready for it. <clears throat> so that's why complacency, them kids, yeah, might be trusted for a year or two, but it could take one fucking mistake yeah. for the dad to have a bad day and be like, you know what, go kill fucking Americans because they were told you kill an American, you go to Allah and have yeah. so many fucking virgins sleep with, so they like to kill Americans and they would sacrifice themselves because they know they're going to fucking God to go get a bunch of virgins and all that stuff and... So That's they, a good lesson for anybody that complacency kills. You, mm-hmm. Do you ever talk about that when you're doing the motivation stuff? I do it. Just talking to people? Okay, all friends, all family. All right. Don't be <clears throat> fucking complacent. Yeah. It just like Sit someone, around and not work out and you'll be all stiff and sore yeah. and then it starts causing problems and oh, things aren't working right. That's, and, I'm a huge fitness guy. Right, yeah. Complacency kills everybody when it comes to fitness. When you're young and active and wild, you got your main top of your game. Yeah. You get complacent because you're like, oh, I'm always going to be like this. I don't need to be living in the gym. And then you get complacent and never do it. So then you grab 10 years and you don't even really see the change because you're changing constantly and your brain don't keep up with it. Just, it just happens. And then 10 years later, you're like, holy shit, I can't fucking breathe. I've gained 100 fucking pounds of fat and way out of shape because you got complacent. And that that's how I used to be. I'm like, oh, I'm super young. I healed from all these injuries and all this stuff, which I'm going to get into is I can, I don't even need to work out. And then next thing you know, MySpace comes out with Mafia Wars and mobsters and all these games. All right. So I'm sitting there eating. While I'm, I'll, get, I'll get into that later. <laughs> yeah, tell, okay, us about, so, so yeah. tell us about um, what you, what um, you obviously went through something very um, traumatic. Traumatic. Yeah. And so, the, yeah. So let's uh, talk about that. That was garden, pretty much a simple base of garden base. And then there's QRF. That was what I told you. We're at the ECPs, central control points, or the five, four operating bases, running around the city. The captain that was running everything with our staff sergeant, the recon staff sergeant, just wanted to make an appearance out there so they know we're out there. We're not fucking around. We're not getting complacent as in letting them do what they want because that's when they set shit up for us to get blown up. So the more they see us, the more they think about, hey, maybe we shouldn't do this because they're constantly out. Well, the, it was on Easter, Easter Sunday, technically it was, um, we were going to ECP 7, which is down this road called Henry. Now, Henry was the worst road, that's what our military name was, was Henry, it was the worst road in Fallujah. Every time we go down that road, shit fucking happens. Well, of course, I was the first one to find it, knowing my luck. So we turned left, go down to ECP 7 to go check on the ECP down there, and midway down the road... We see all kids and everybody running and hiding. And then we're like, okay, we know what's going on. Something's about to fucking happen. We learn in training. When they all scatter and disappear, you know, so how many people happen. are we, what are we in right now? Are we Is it you and how many people are we talking here? Oh, it's it's in our little security team, our QRF. Okay. Four. Oh, no, no, I was actually in a seven ton. Okay, I was in a seven ton for the first bomb. The seven ton and then our security team. Moving us because we had okay. to go pick up some prisoners under confinement. We call them pucks. Yeah. We had to pick them up, take them to Camp Fallujah to the prison. Okay. So it was our, I think it was a seven-person convoy. And, of course, there's 100 feet in between each vehicle mm-hmm. just in case of front Seven-person being seven vehicles. Seven vehicles. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. Oh. 100 feet in between each vehicle just in case they get blown up. We it's don't take them back. Effect. Effect. Yep. Yeah. So then, of so course. How many people are in a seven-ton? Like 20, 30? Or? Well, seven-ton, it was... Me, my vehicle commander, which is a corporal at the time, Corporal Kelly, which I'll talk about him later. And then we had, I'll say three or four in the back. And of course, after everybody scattered, and it was, we're driving down Henry, everybody scattered. 
And we're like, okay, we learned this in training. Something's about to happen. So then we're driving, and my vehicle commander is like, all right, keep tight, high and tight. Shit's going to happen. Everybody's disappearing. And I drive by, and this dude, heavily dressed, he's got this little turban and then like a fucking hood and thick or like a big old fucking coat. It's like mean mugging us, staring at us. The only motherfucker not running away is this dude dressed and like covered, completely covered. Looks like a freaking KKK member with all the shit he had on. And then he's got his phone just staring at us like he want, like he's going to fucking kill us. I'm like, that's kind of weird. He's not the only one running. So my convoy commander said, got on the radio. Once he wants to announce it, bomb blew up right beside me. And then... We have these little gun fence in our doors because they're heavily armored seven tons. These are upgraded. Yeah, got the plates on them and everything. Yeah, like fucking it. thick yeah. ass plates. And I my brother talking about that. And then <laughs> we had a gun vent, so if we are do get in a big old firefight, we can stick our guns out the vent and shoot or lay down cover yeah. fire and stuff. Well, my dumb ass kept it open because there's no AC in the vehicle. Heavily armored, all that heat coming in made it so fucking miserable and hot. You would put all your gear on. We had long sleeves jackets and shit we put our gear on sit in the vehicles 30 seconds get out drenched in sweat because yep. it's so fucking hot all the transmission heat all the heat from the engine on top of the heat coming in so i just did that for some ventilation and some air to come through it a little bit well the bomb blew up right beside that and either concussion of the blast or trash because there's trash piles on each side of the road and it was the road only there's piles of trash they put it in the trash pile Blew off, so either trash hit me, maybe shrapnel hit me, or the pr- pressure from the bomb hit me, and then scream on scream on the radio. My vehicle commander is like, Victor 4 hit, Victor 4 hit, we're good, keep pushing. We just kept going. and You kept driving. Yeah, we just kept, drove right through it because we couldn't get the guy. After we got blown up, of course, our mind wasn't, where is the motherfucker? It was, is everybody okay, yeah, and yeah. all this stuff. And it's like, <clears throat> tires were still good, a few chunks out of the armor from shrapnel. Wow. Kept pushing, finished our fucking mission, went back, mission debrief, happy, uh, good reaction to the bomb, we didn't freak out, we didn't lose our mind, go drive off into the freaking, in the buildings and stuff, or just shoot yeah. anybody and everybody in the area, and they, we had eggs full of confetti, threw them up in the fan, confetti everywhere, happy Easter. <laughs> and, happy fucking yeah, Easter. Yeah, happy fucking Easter, and then Aki, <laughs> the one that did the sandbag on the Porta John, he comes out with his camera again, he's like, so cop and uh, how was it to get blown up? I'm like, it was good. I guess. <laughs> good, I guess. Great. And Best yeah. blow up I've ever had. He's what are you like, going to say when the camera's in your face? Every, you yeah, know. I'm like, what do I say? I'm like, yeah, man, that was nothing. I so shit. he was the Snapchat guy before Snapchat was Yeah, on. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Recording everything. Oh, I guarantee yeah. you if if I could talk to him again, yeah. like I haven't, I haven't talked to him in a long time, I guarantee you he's a Snapchat, Snapchat fucking <laughs> hero right now, man. But he comes up, he's all right, no battle wounds, devil. I'm like, ah, oh, I, I took something in my arm, but I haven't checked yet. He's like, ah, Roger the hat. He's like, right here, ladies and gentlemen, a true American war hero. <laughs> I'm like, all right. Yeah. I hit a tiny bomb. <laughs> and then, uh, so then that, that went through. And then finally, four vehicles, three vehicles, four vehicles after me, different days, all hit that same bomb. And I'm like, okay, obviously they're plotting out how we react or how, how our tactics are when shit happens. So they're going to plan something big for that. Well, the three, four bombs that they placed and hit everybody. We had one guy took shrapnel from it in the head and just sliced him a little bit. And a couple days later, he's back on the road. And then a couple other bombs didn't really do nothing to nobody. It was just a little test. 
and then it wiped out the road completely. Like fucking the whole cement, everything was gone. No, it wasn't that much cement because it's a third world country. It's a fucking shitty ass place. The road was completely open and it was like off road and hard when you went over where the bomb wiped out of the road. And then that comes in later in the date from there. So then after our little bit of time and guard force, which was the QRF and garden base, my unit wanted me back. And then, of course, my gunnery sergeant, this is his fourth deployment in 06 already. Three years, four deployments. So he is like the fucking god of war. Yeah, yeah. Dude, he, he knows everything. He's the master. And so he wanted us back. And then he he heard, everybody heard about the roadside bomb. I was the first one to find a bomb, get attacked. And he's and then he talked to my captain, my staff sergeant. He's like, Carpenter works good under pressure. He hit a bomb, and it's kind of like to me is I was trained for it. So the adrenaline hit once the bomb went off, and everybody started freaking out. But training just kicked in and carried me through. Like I didn't even think about it; it just fucking happened. So gunner sergeant made me lead driver right away with him. I'm like, wow, cool. <laughs> First, first one find landmines, and last to know what the fuck goes on behind me. Like, <laughs> so you're leading. The, Thank you for leading. the honors. Yeah, yes. Yeah. So now I'm the lead of the convoy now, and I fuck up. Everybody fucks up. I was like, damn it, why did I do so good? <laughs> yeah, well, and that was the thing. I'm the perfectionist. I got to be the best at everything well, I do, and I'm I mean, like, well, what do they say? Like, no good deed goes unpunished, right? Yeah, yeah. You see it. <laughs> no good blow up goes unpunished. <laughs> yeah. So then I'm like, all right, whatever. I'm with the baddest ass motherfucker you'll ever meet in your life at coming to combat. And I was like, all right, we'll do it. And then, so we, mission after mission, shit started fucking happening heavily in the city because Phantom Fury, the big old, biggest, bloodiest battle in, in Iraq, they ran everybody out of the city. And what, fucking every building had huge bullet holes lined up, chunks of the building missing just from all the bombs and everything going off. So this is when everybody's coming back into the city after Phantom Fury. They're raged out because we fucked their city up, mm-hmm. and we're taking the aftermath of it. We're taking the their reactions to us fucking their city up. We're taking the fucking wrath from it now. So it is constant. We had a guy get shot, fucking Kevlar, shot in the head by a sniper. And luckily, I'll give it to the military, the way they designed our Kevlar, the bullet went straight into his fucking helmet ricocheted around and exited out the back. That's incredible. Yeah, <laughs> slice them bad on so his head. So you've seen that in the movie or heard it, it's not a joke. Yeah, that yeah actually, the, the that's Kevlars how are yeah. fucking legit. And so he, of course, launched him back, fucking knocked out. They got him medevaced out, and then he got stitched up, was fine, returned. I'll say after a month or around a month, he returned back to the streets. I'm like, what? That motherfucker's got some balls. <laughs> I just got shot in the fucking head. I'm going back out there. <laughs> Put me in, coach. And, and fucking, He's a Marine, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah no, fucking no fear, man. And uh, and then we had a couple more roadside bombs. We had a guy get shot in the sappy plate. Sniper roadside bombs. Only way for them to do anything to us. Because, yeah. of course, you're in a big fucking city. A million build or a bunch of buildings. million windows. How do you know where the fuck who is from and where you're going to take, what window you're going to take? So, of course, they figured that out. Snipers and bombs. The only way they can do anything to us. Because we were not prepared for the roadside bombs at this time. In 05, 325 in Akron, Brexville, the one that took, they lost like 54 people in Haditha. That's when roadside bombs started getting big. And we were not prepped for it at all. Mm-hmm. Like, we had not have the equipment. No, not So, you guys didn't armor. have like the sweepers or things that they have no, now? No, yeah. Okay. So, yeah. The roadside bombs are picking up on our vehicles can't stand and it's killing everybody. 
that's what they're resorting to. We had a couple firefights to which they can't do shit firefight. They don't know how, they don't have any shooting, any, any talent at all. They would just run and spray and hope yeah, to God they it's hit. It's a shaky ass AK that's going to spray everywhere, right? Yeah, and they, they don't. They have no training on Yeah, it no or, training, like where they get yeah. down in the bunker and they're aiming and shooting yeah. and all now, that are these, stuff. Are these people, are, even though they have lack training, are, are they trained military or are these mainly it's like civilians that are trying? It's all, all civilians. It's all civilian, okay. Yeah, it's just like a fucking gang member. Yeah. You, they're all like pretty much a gang mm-hmm. back here in the States, yeah. pretty much over there. They're just a bunch of extremists that mm-hmm. fucking hates America because they're brainwashed. So then we, I mean, we at, in my new book I have coming up, I got more detail about combat. I, my first book, you can definitely tell about Raiden Jake. You wrote it. Yeah. I read, read it. it. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't write it. Yeah, yeah, I mean, no. yeah, you re- <laughs> Working you on it. my own. Yeah, but sure. But fucking, that's a beginner's <laughs> writing skill right there. I, I'm yeah. talking, the way I'm talking to you is how I wrote my book. It's fine. Author's yeah. voice. But yeah, 124 pages? Yeah, it's yeah. only 25,000 words. Yeah. It's so. fucking almost, almost uh, tripled what it should be. My new book is on that process, which I'll get to later. So I got in a lot. We got in a lot of shit. We got broke down at the end of the city, and then fucking we had to take post security, make sure we're guarded, because then the city was empty, nothing was going on. So we're like, something's gonna fucking happen. So we're heavily watching. Fucking time goes by, we get bored, and we start making jokes and laughing at each other and fucking making fun of the situation, <clears throat> and then we hear a gunshot. Sounded close, but not nearly as loud as it should have been. As close as it sounded, and then of course, my our captain from the company that was with my company, he made sure everything was okay. He's like, "Everybody good?" And then we hear a guy go, "I'm hit, Corman up." So right there, your mind—I can't even explain. I feel like I get goosebumps talking about it. The feelings and the emotions are run through your head when you're standing posed, just looking for something to happen. And then you hear excited guy say he got hit after that gunshot you just happened. You know how bad it was, mm-hmm. if he's gonna fucking die, where our corpsman was, which our corpsman our Navy. Navy corpsman, the field corpsman. Marine Corps don't have medical division, we're just straight combat type of mm-hmm. shit. So we everybody starts screaming corpsman up and the corpsman rushes over and starts taking care of him and then we load him up, took him out. And there's all off of stopping because we thought there was a roadside bomb ahead of us. And that's how, this is the perfect So setup. he, you guys out of the truck and then yeah. he gets it. Okay. Because we can't just sit there and yeah. just wait in the fucking heat. Go hit the damn thing. Yeah. yeah so we, we shot it. We shot our, our fucking 50 cal, shot it. It tumbled, but it looked like it had some weight to it. I'm like, that's obviously, it's got to be something or maybe it's just fucking box worth out there. We don't want, we don't want to get place complacent. So they got to hold a EOD to come out fuck, check it out and shit. But we couldn't stay in our Humvees with no fucking heat. So, well, of course, we got out post security and waited for you to get there. And in the process, that all happened. Loaded them up, took them out. And we had a guy get, like I said, got shot in the sappy plate. Fucking launched his ass backwards. And he got back up. Caught his breath. He said, knock the fucking breath out of him. And hmm. sent him tumbling. He's like, hurt like son of a bitch. But he just kept going. And uh, we had a bunch of situations. But it's all my in my second book that I got coming out. And... The main part of combat was June 6, 2006. We were going down Henry, like I talked earlier. Worst road in Iraq. Nighttime. Now I'm nighttime security team at the beginning of the day. So at nighttime, we were at Bravo Company by the train station. And we were we were leading. My security team was security for everybody. Anybody came through Fallujah that needed fire support, we took them. We transferred them through Fallujah. So we were tra- we were transferring 
our food, water, and fuel trucks to all the FOBs and ECPs to load them up, give them food, water, fuel, all that shit. And we're sitting on the hoods of our Humvees as our food and water trucks are doing their shit and just joking around and laughing, smoking, chewing, just whatever, talking about dumb shit. And I got this weird feeling. And I'm like, guys, do you ever have that feeling that something big is about to happen, like a huge firefight or a huge bomb or something? And like, yeah, of course, Carpenter, we're in combat. What else do you expect? <laughs> like, I don't know. I just got that weird fucking feeling. So then we get a call. ECP-7 hit a roadside bomb earlier in the day, and it wiped out a tire. So they need a tire now. So now we're grabbing a tire off our fucking 7-ton and running to ECP-7 as our food and water trucks are refueling the Bravo company on the train station. So we load up four-person security team. We all four load up and take off. We came out of train station, a couple of side roads. And you're in a Humvee, right? Yeah, Humvees, yeah. 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 And we come out on the main road, which is called Fran. That's the main drag through Fallujah. Turn right on on Fran, and we turn left on Henry. And this is where the worst part. At this point in time, the road, no foot patrols are allowed on this road because so much shit goes down on this fucking road. So we're going down Henry. We come up to where I hit my first bomb. And I told you earlier, they it wiped out the road. Well, a few days prior, the next thing, the holes being dug, holes being dug, holes being dug. It got so fucking big, we barely were able to make it by because of the trash piles on each side, you couldn't swerve it. And we just had to hit it right so it didn't swallow your fucking Humvee. That's how big the bomb hole was, or the hole was. So we come up to it, and I'm like, oh shit, the fucking road's clear, the fucking the hole's gone, road's leveled off, looks like a professional did it. That's suspicious. Yeah, yeah. I'm like... I was like, oh, good to go. They did get some construction there. Yeah, I'm still being a little bit leery and a little bit... I'm like, okay. So I still tried to remember the route I took every time we drove over that hole. And, of course, couldn't swerve around it because of huge-ass trash piles on the side. And I barely fucking went around where the hole was, but I still had to hit it every time. And my front tire hit this pressure plate, is what it's called. As soon as my front tire hit, I heard a click lights out and then i woke up mid-air because they said it blew my vehicle 20 feet in the air and i think i woke up mid-air after the bomb went off and my vehicle was violently shaken and i screamed gunny and just said hold on and back out of it and i woke up two and a half weeks later out of a coma from the roadside bomb but i didn't hear the bomb go off well after 20 feet in the air landed and it propelled us like 40 feet into a building. And I guess the vehicle was on fire. And we were stuck in the Humvee. I was unconscious. And my gunnery sergeant, the one that had four, this is fourth deployment. He, the badass. Yeah, the, yeah. the bomb blew the transmission. He told you to hold on as you woke up. And you're fucking in the air. The yeah, yeah, Humvee's vibrating. He's like, yeah, just hold on a second. You know, he's like, no, he's like, hold on. Like, hold on for your lifetime of thing. He's like, just hold on. Oh, you thought he meant like, hold on, give me a minute. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, hold on, let me, get, let me get back to you real quick. Let me figure out what the fuck's going on. Yeah, stop your shit, Carpenter. Yeah. on a coffee break. <laughs> like, quit being a pussy. It's just a bump in the road. Yeah. And so I, out of it, I'm unconscious. Well, the bomb blew the transmission through the bottom of the Humvee, and this that was the only place, luckily, that these upgraded armors that we just got, it was like a week or two before I hit this second bomb, we got these upgraded Humvees, M1123 is what they were called, but the only place that wasn't armored was where the transmission was. Well, it blew the transmission through the, everything, and I'm not sure if I got the fucking pictures of it. 
I'll see if it's in the book or not, but you know if it's in here or not. Oh, yeah, they're right here. The, the front cover, one here? Yeah, yeah the that's cover, what I was yeah. looking at, yeah. So, okay. So, the, tra- <clears throat> the transmission came up through the middle. This is all the comm gear. You, you got to be careful here because people are listening to this. So oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They yeah. can't okay. see I mean, you're, you're just about. looking at a very destroyed interior of a front, front home. Seat, right? yeah. Shattered bulletproof. That's how big yeah. the bomb was. It shattered bulletproof glass. Yeah. And then the seat is jammed up into the dashboard in the steering wheel. And the transmission is where fucking almost to the ceiling. And then the comm gear that is in front of the dash is up into the ceiling. So, obviously, you can see why I got so fucked up. And my gunnery sergeant, his leg was, I think it was more on his side it came through. But his leg was by it and it took a huge chunk of his thigh out. They said it looked like a shark bit his fucking thigh. Really? That's meat came off. Wow. And then he broke his wrist in snowboarding and training. Then he rebroke his wrist, but he's out fucking running around. He's you know he's the god of fucking war with his thigh blown up. Yeah, with his thigh fucking just gushing out blood. And he's well, he knew that it was me as the driver. He was the vehicle commander, the actual convoy commander. And then we had a gunner, which was standing on the gun with the Mark nineteen. I think yeah, it was, yeah Mark nineteen. That's the grenade launcher. And then we had my sergeant in the back was our comm guy. He was literally right behind me. And his feet were under my seat when the bomb came up. Knee down, gone. On my sergeant behind me. Of course, you didn't know that right then. It just completely mangled. Yeah, it just smashed everything. So they get us out of the vehicle. They said I was unconscious. And they had to rip me out of the vehicle because I was pinned between my seat and the steering wheel. And they couldn't get me out of the burning vehicle. And they fucking got Sullivan. My I call him Sully. He's still my best. I go see him every year. But he got launched out of the gun in the mid-fucking air. I don't know how the hell, how high he would have went yeah. and landed or when he would have got thrown out. Is that the one that on your Facebook or every picture you guys have you stand in the hospital together Yeah, that's that? it. Yeah, okay. that's all, yeah. So everybody knows because people do look at your stuff too. Yeah, you know, yeah. So. Yes, yeah. You guys are <coughs> having me on Facebook. It's more welcome to be our YAN Carpenter. But anyways, he got launched out of the Humvee and not saying luckily he only, but all he took injury-wise was he broke both of his legs. He was up, running around like a maniac. Two snap fucking legs. Because we just hit the big bomb, and our fucking adrenaline, their adrenaline's gone. He's running around, fucking screaming. And fucking Sergeant, Sergeant Brown, he was the sergeant behind us, the comm guy, lost, mingled his leg. He's screaming for morphine and this and that, because his leg is a goddamn fucking flap now. And so the doc, one doc we had with us, trying to take care of Gunnery Sergeant Wilson... Trying, everybody's trying to calm him down because he's running to everybody, make sure we're okay. Everybody's doing their job, doing everything right. And then got Sullivan screaming because of his legs, and we hit a bomb and started starting brown. And they've got the other Marines yelling about me because I'm unconscious. You can't really see it now, but I got a huge scar yep. on my chin here. And then I have, I don't know what the hell is here, but I got hit with shrapnel. All that comm gear that was sitting in the freaking dashboard, whatever, hit me. And then I was unconscious, choking on blood. And of course, they couldn't So you're pinned between the seat and the steering wheel, and you got hit with all this shit that yeah. just. Yeah. So I'm, I'm sitting there like fucking a goddamn punching bag now. Yeah. And they've got, they finally got me out, ripped me out of the burning Humvee. And then I'm unconscious, just laying there pretty much dead. They thought I was fucking dead. And then I, they heard me choking on blood because my mouth was getting filled with blood from all the shrapnel I took in my chin. And they're like, Carpenter's choking on blood, and Doc runs over. Now, mind you, he's in a panic. Four fucking badly injured Marines, one doc. So he's trying to take care of all of us under the stress that usually when we get hit by a big bomb, 
big old ambush comes in after that. So then everybody's freaking out, trying to post security, middle of the fucking night, no lights, and we don't know what the hell's going to happen to them. So everybody's stressed the fuck out. The doc comes over. He's like, okay, merch trick you. Slits me. I didn't take his time. Of course, he's got people to take care of. So he hit. You can just kind of see the scar on my throat here. Mm-hmm. He hit a little bit to the side or too high or something. Nicked my carotid artery. And then, of course, the, I still talk to all the Marines in my unit. And the Marine that held my throat from bleed, they said put pressure on it. Because slitting your fucking throat, hitting your artery, yeah. you're going to fucking die. But the kid said, the, the Marine said, I had a blood of stream shooting oh, out of shit. my fucking neck. And, of course, you had to put pressure on it. Don't know how the fuck I survived. But they loaded us up, got us to Fluja Surgical right away. And then, of course, Fluja Surgical, big old hospital, a lot of medical, all that shit's there. And they took care of me and kept me alive. And then they got everybody out. Everybody, I don't know what the hell happened because I'm in a coma at this fucking point. And two and a half weeks later, I woke up. Well... I don't know how, like I said, I don't know how they kept me fucking alive, losing all that fucking blood and all that fucking injuries happening. Yeah, you can kind of see in my pages here how small I was. Yeah, I got a lot of questions. What was about your that. weight exactly? 120 like, pounds okay, when I so woke that was up. Your, okay. I was 155, 160 in Iraq. I was right. like, no fat, solid muscle. No, you're really good shape guy. Yeah, yeah going in. And I was, woke up two weeks later and I lost fucking almost 40 pounds. How? Blood loss. Just and blood interest. loss and fluid. And, and then being in a coma, so therefore yeah. I wasn't eating and all that. They were like two feeding me and shit. So I, there was no nutrients on my body. Oh, yeah, I can see here. That. Yeah, dude, you're, you were a big dude. Is well, that you I, right there? Yeah, I wasn't big. I was just Well, like, I mean, you were shredded. Yeah, yeah you I were built. Fucking, yeah. A lot of muscle on me. I, I gained 20 pounds going back to boot camp. I went in boot camp at 135. I came out of boot camp at 155. Yeah, fucking shred. I look, my, my dad said I turned into a monster. <laughs> but yeah, and then I got I gained a little bit of weight in Iraq, eating all them MREs and all them calories and all that shit, carbs and the freaking uh, MREs, and I put weight on you, and I hit the gym every day in Iraq, so I added more weight. I'm exact 160, 165 maybe, and I woke up 120 two and a half weeks later. But what my back then, of course, technology with medical shit is ridiculous today. But back then, that was a fucking miracle that they kept me alive. Yeah, it's not precision yeah. equipment. You yeah. know, doctor's office yeah, is clean they, and they sterile. Learned, and they learned a lot at the beginning parts of the war. Oh, yeah. Because they didn't know how to deal with you guys. Like, they do a much better job with it now. Yeah. Because we've dealt with it for, you know, over a decade. Two you know, decades. Like, it's like, it's crazy how long we've been there. It's nuts. But So, another story, which I want to tell you another thing fucking amazing about our <laughs> medical back then. We were going down with Charlie Company. And out of nowhere, suicide bomber come flying the fuck in. And before we did our fucking ground grill kill, pyro, shout show, shove shoot type of thing, there was no fucking time to react. By the time he come flying in, fucking hit us, blew up. And you know, it's, it's in my book. It's one of the scariest fucking moments, one of the worst moments in Iraq we dealt with. But he blew up, smoke clears, everybody all right? Good gunny, good gunny. Okay, Sergeant, he's like, was, I'm not going to say his name, but he's a, he's a supply sergeant back on base. He wanted to come get some that day. And my gunner, he's like, my gunner sergeant's like, sure, man, fucking replace our gunner and come out and do some missions with us. First fucking mission out. Suicide bomber hits us. He's the only one that didn't respond. So then we look up, blood is gushing down the, from the fucking gun. And here to find out, shrapnel went right through his fucking... Mrs. Kevlar went right underneath because 
we didn't have much shield on our gun on our yeah, fucking turrets. Got that there little back then. shield, that little front shield, all open right here. So if by the time he would have maybe aimed in the gun to shoot the guy before he hit us, he wasn't protected, and the shrapnel came through and took out a chunk of his head. Well, they he lost forty percent of his brain from that bomb. We got him back to fluid. Tic Tac is what we call him. He drove like a maniac on crack. It's like a little rhyme I came up. Tic Tac drives like a maniac on crack. <laughs> he, uh, he got him to fluid surgical. He was the one that took me to fluid surgical after my bomb, too. But he, they saved his life, kept him fucking alive from that bomb, losing 40% of his brain, all the fucking blood he lost. Took, kept him alive, got him back in the States, forced life support. He's never waking up. He, <clears throat> he warned his family of that. And the family, of course, and his will, he said, if I'm ever in that position, pull the plug. I don't want to live like that. I'm not going to be a vegetable for the rest of my life. So his fiance, which they were literally setting up to get married on the return home from Iraq, and his parents pulled the plug on him because that was his, that was his wishes to do. And that was the worst part of Iraq. And that was one of the main parts of my combat story. And but that's how fucking amazing. They lost 40% of your brain, but our medical was able to keep him alive to get him home, yeah. which, of course, they couldn't <laughs> replace his brain get him to come back alive, which I'm sure in the near future they're going to come out with machines that can rebuild organs and all that stuff. But, yeah, that's that's how crazy it was. That's how thankful I am. Our military is so fucking smart and have all that stuff to keep me alive, losing six units of blood. I had a six-unit blood transfusion in my coma. Your body only holds 12 to 14, mm-hmm. depending on your body size. Like you, since you're a big guy, you probably got 14 units of blood in you. And me being that small, I probably only had 12. So therefore, I lost half the blood in my fucking body from my artery being nicked and then blood from my chin and all the injuries and stuff. I had just, My body just fucked up. So I wake up 120 pounds, brain damage. It's called anoxic TBI. Anoxic TBI is lack of blood to your brain, oxygen to your brain. I needed a trach for air, lost all my fucking blood. So I had anoxic TBI, which when you have anoxic TBI, your brain gets destroyed. Your brain damages actually actual brain damage. Yeah, the TBI yeah. is a traumatic brain injury. Yeah, traumatic, yeah. Yeah. Well, I had that from my accident. Yeah, and then I had a traumatic brain injury from the concussion of the blast and yep. the blows that I took. Yep. So I got a combination of TBI, traumatic brain injury, and anoxic TBI brain damage. The lack of the oxygen. Yeah. 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 Oxygen and blood, and that fucked me up bad. And then I wake and waking up out of the coma, I had all the fucking meds pouring in my system. It was a medically induced coma. Yeah, medically induced coma coma is even worse because you still don't wake up out of it for a certain period of time because all the drugs Mm -hmm. that are just in your body, even after you're out of the hospital and all that. Your whole bloodstream is nothing but drugs keeping you out of it. It's like a, like a daze, like yeah. you're kind of in a cloud. When you wake up, it's like a hangover from the fucking meds that they were giving you <laughs> in the coma. So I wake up and fucking weirdest thing today. They tried bringing me out of my coma a couple times. I'm sorry. Uh, okay. Are they waking you up here? Are you are you back stateside now or are you still yeah. over there? Yeah, so, so I went from okay. Fallujah Surgical to Balad, Iraq. Balad, Iraq is the biggest hospital in Iraq. Okay. So Balad, Iraq, then Balad, Iraq to Germany, I can't remember that, Langstor or something, Germany. Best surgeons in the world in Germany. And they sent me there. I can't remember the actual fucking name of it. And then that's where I had my pins and screws and okay. all my surgeries, internal bleeding, which I got a cut from the bottom of my chest all the way down below my pant line from internal bleeding. They slipped me for internal bleeding because I shattered so many bones, had internal bleeding. 
And they did all the surgeries, and they shipped me to Bethesda, Maryland. Maryland, Bethesda, Maryland is where all the higher-ups, all the celebrities, everybody mm-hmm. go to Bethesda, Maryland. It's a military hospital out there, and that's where I woke up in my coma, <coughs> and when I opened my fucking eyes. They did it a couple times, woke me up out of my coma. This is only a couple days. They got me from all these spots to Bethesda. It was half a week. Mm-hmm. They had me in Bethesda in my coma for two weeks in the stateside. Yeah. So I opened my eyes. The one time, not the final time, but the one time I opened my eyes, didn't think nothing, didn't feel nothing. I just, it's like I woke up from a sleep and I see my mom like praying by my legs, crying. And then I, and I'm like, mom? And then I hear my dad go, Brian, well, I heard some, a voice go, Brian, we're here for you. And I look up above me, my dad's got his arms crossed and staring at me, saying he was here for me. And the next thing you know, this doctor comes down on my face screaming gibberish. I don't know what the fuck he was saying. And then lights out again. Like you won't, you weren't supposed to be up then? Well, because I couldn't control my bodily functions okay. because of my brain damage and my brain injury. And I woke up and I couldn't control my breathing. I couldn't control my swallowing. Yeah. Trying to get you out of it completely? Is yeah. that what you're screaming at you for? Or? Yeah, he's like trying to yeah. get me to come with this so I could start doing it. And then I couldn't do it, so I cut me back out. Yeah. And then I don't even remember waking up my final time. And when I woke, the next thing I know... I am screaming agony of fucking pain. Just hits you. Yeah, I shattered yeah. seven vertebrae in my lower back, L1, 2, 4, 5, S1, 2, and 3. Shattered my pelvis in five different areas, which is why I got bad internal bleeding. They had to cut me open for Shattered my right ankle. I have drop foot and all this nerve damage from my spine and everything breaking. So I have so much muscle atrophy in my legs and all this. I can't lift my left foot. I have muscle. I have drop foot. It's a... I just can't lift it. I can push, but I can't lift it. That muscle. It's like standing on your foot and your tendon won't allow it to pull it up. I have that same thing. It just flops. And I have to wear an AFO to keep my foot flat so I can walk normal, but I'm my stubborn ass. I don't wear it. I just train myself. Yeah. When I walk, I lift my leg a little higher. Your knee's got to go a little bit higher to okay. overcompensate. Or you catch it on steps and shit, and it's yep. not fun falling down. Did you stairs. get yours from your? Was your as a result of your accident? As Over well? time, it okay. just my yeah. sciatic went out. But yeah, but still. that's what my main fucking yeah. thing is too. It, it all's connected. <laughs> you pull the mic a little bit closer, like we're like barely yeah, picking up like here, I'm fading out a little bit. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> okay, so then and that's what that it was. I had shrapnel go yep. through my ass, like the side from the side went straight through my ass. I guess got my sciatic nerve. Yep. I don't know if it's damaged because I don't want to get that towards Shit the all runs down to your foot, though. All your sciatic fucking, yeah. that's the main fucking nerve yep. to do everything. And that's why I have... My hips pinched. That's what pinched it. And that's what caused it all for me because my yeah. pelvis was destroyed. But I get yeah, it. Like, yeah, it yeah. all runs right down to your bottom mm-hmm. of your foot and all that. So. And if not, not everybody knows, <clears throat> your nerves are the electrical wires for your muscles. Your nerves don't activate your muscles. Your muscles are not going to work. Your muscles are going to be atrophied and it's going to dissipate and disappear yeah. because you're not using it. <clears throat> and, that, and that's why most of my shit is pretty bad. And I, I technically, when I say leg day working out, I mean it seriously. Because if you add up all the leg muscles I could use, equal to one fully operating leg. Yeah. <laughs> my quad, my hamstrings, my shin, my calves. I have half the use of all that shit. So I literally joke around with everybody like, leg day today. Singular you know, leg day. Yeah. yeah. yeah seriously. <laughs> and, so, and then now I'm at a chiropractor and shit's starting to come back slowly yeah. for me. So hopefully, I maybe there's just a pinch nerve. I'm gonna get that later. It's no joke. Yeah, and so I'm waking up, screaming in pain. I'm fucking my pelvis is mangled in five different places. The wing in the back crushed and snapping half. All this. How crap. conscious are you right now of what happened and why you're there? Like nothing. Okay, then that, that, that's that, that's where the, my story comes into play. 
they my brain injury, my memory, everything. Your brain does that for a defense mechanism. Mm-hmm. Anything traumatic, your brain yeah. will purposely block out. Shuts off stuff. Shuts, yeah. shuts it off. Yep. So I waking up, and I remember them asking me, going, Brian, do you know why you're in the hospital? I'm like, I don't know. Did I get in a car accident, or what happened? Yep. Like, no, Brian, you were, you were a Marine, and you hit a roadside bomb in Iraq. I'm like, no, I was wait, not. Wait, wait, you didn't even know, like, that you I, were over there? I didn't know who I was. Oh, my gosh. And I'm like, I wasn't a Marine, and I wasn't in Iraq. I was like, are you sure? Oh, my goodness. And now, remember, I'm mentally retarded because my brain was damaged and injured bad. Like, not in a bad, disrespectful way. No, but I was no. mentally Medically, retarded. yeah. Yeah, medically. Yeah, med- medically. And so, they're, they're, I was arguing with them. Like, I was not a Marine in Iraq. I think you got the wrong person. And then, it, I didn't know who I was. I didn't know who my mom or dad was at this point. But when I woke up out of my coma that one time... I'm like, mom, what are you, like, what are you doing here? So it was like a quick snippet like, of yeah. it, and your your brain remembered it. And yeah, and then boom. out after yep. they took me back out of it, yep. and I woke up late. I don't even remember waking up my final time. Yep. I don't remember the pain and agony at first or anything because they had me all hocked up on drugs and shit. So that screwed my brain <clears> up even more on top of my brain damage and brain injury. So it took memory. I don't know if they did this on purpose or what it was, but my grandma came to see me in the hospital. Like, I'm at, I'm on Fox, I'm on Fox 8 News at home while I was in my coma. Like, I'm a big fucking deal back at home from what happened. Like, everybody heard about it. Fox 8 News did a big story on me. Jack Shea, you guys know Jack Shea? Fox 8, he yeah, did he my story. Yep. And <clears throat> people come out and see me. President Bush came out and see me. So, holy <laughs> shit. Yeah, I saw the picture in there. There's a picture in the book. Pictures I was, with Ozzy. I didn't want to say anything, but I'm looking like, yeah. what the, like, I, yeah, Ozzy Osbourne. Ozzy's in there. Yeah, I'll yeah. spoil yeah. the book here, but. Yeah, pretty impressive. Yeah. You got to read it. Yeah, was coming to see me, yeah. and so my grandma came out. My dad was driving out every week, and he couldn't miss work because he's taking care of my grandma. Grandpa passed away when I was in high school, so he couldn't stay in the hospital with me every day. My mom gave up her whole fucking life. She gave up her high high paying nursing job, and luckily her manager, hardcore military supporter, she's like Brian needs you more than we do. Your job is here when you get back. Oh, nice. So four months full time therapy occupational speech and physical i had to learn to walk had to learn to talk and had to learn to live all over again my mom was there with me every fucking day and she made sure everything was being done to the t and all this stuff and all that but my dad could only come every other weekend uh, every weekend i'm sorry every weekend fucking for but that's the maryland cleveland ohio make mm-hmm. the drive every right. fucking yep. weekend to come see me and of course my weirdest thing ever is how bad cigarettes are I don't even remember who the fuck I am or what the hell happened to me. <laughs> All I wanted was a cigarette. Yep, uh-huh. One of the cigarettes didn't give a fuck. I just needed a cigarette. So I begged my dad. I always smoked in front of my dad. My dad had me smoke in front of him when I was super young. Drank my first beer with my dad when I was super young. So if you're going to fucking do it, you're going to do it in front of me. So I know it's going to be moderated. So I'm like, Dad, take me out for a cigarette. And of course, he couldn't. He's not allowed to because that interferes with your healing. Oh, yeah. And my mom would beat the fuck out of him. If he <laughs> and he let me go out and smoke. Yeah. He would. He's a heavy smoker, two, three packs a day type of guy, and he can't do his nicotine fits. He's like, I have to fulfill it. So I'm having bad nicotine fits, and I'm like, Dad, I really need a cigarette. He would push me out. Remember, I still don't know who he is. I just knew he'd give me cigarettes, so I'm like, Dad, get me out. You knew, so wait, you, at this time, you know he's your dad. You just can't relate to that idea yeah, at I all. Yeah, I just call him dad. Yeah, yeah like, I know you're, yeah. I, yeah, you just can't, I, that's bizarre, man. Yeah, and so that's I didn't crazy. know my grandma, I just, because I'm so used to so, all these celebrities and all the people from my unit and everybody coming to visit me. I'm just getting overwhelmed with all these visitations and shit. 
So my grandma walks out with me and my dad. Dad gives me a cigarette and I smoke it and I throw it out. He's like, Brian, do you realize what the hell you just did? I'm like, no, what? Just look flabbergasted. I'm like, what did I do wrong? And I looked at grandma. I'm like, oh, shit. Grandma, I'm so sorry. Everything just come flooding into my fucking brain. No way. So wait, you're sorry. So grandma saw you smoking and that's why. I never smoked or cussed in front of my grandma. And because of that, when my dad did that. It just came slammed into me. I'm like, you remember when it snaps you out of it, though, yeah, right? And yeah. And then I'm like, yeah. Dad, <clears throat> why'd you let me smoke in front of Graham? Like, I was coming back to it everything right comes away. back. Yeah, it's like a flood. It's fucking weird. Yeah. yeah. So then, but my memory of being a Marine, yeah, still not there. And this is where I, I think the V. I don't know. It's so like this a, point is this like when the haze kind of lifts, you yeah, feel it haze, all, and just it's I like know, a flood of everything. I know who I am. Hundred percent is now, but I don't know the yep. Marine thing. Still blank. Well, it's weird because then this is where I think. The VA set this up. They they knew it was going to happen. It seemed like like right. everything happened for a reason. Like you it said, does, right? I'm telling you. Yeah. So then I think I feel like they knew this was going to happen, or maybe they told them my my family came back to me and I went back to my room with my nurses and therapists and I'm like, oh yeah, mom. Look at my mom. It's my sister, my little brother, my uncles, and like I'm talking about. It. Like they were happy to hear my memories coming back. So then my patient advocate or my case manager yep. comes in nonchalantly he just goes remember iraq nothing marine nothing yep. in my brain yet she goes i heard you guys got combat locks now which combat locks are luckily i didn't have mine on that night everything happened for a reason right is where there's huge bars you push in front of the door and put down so nobody can get you cannot, out then you know, yeah yeah nobody yep. can run up rip the door open right. shoot you whatever shoot you, yep. I didn't like them because, like, when I hit that bomb, if you got that door and it don't open and ventilate that pressure from that bomb, it's going to fucking explode That's a inside. good point. Yeah. They, so I'm like, I never open. liked it. And I told her about that. And I spit off. Remember my sergeant, supply sergeant I told her about? Lost her brain. Names spit off everything. about that suicide bomber. Yeah. If them combat lacks are on, <clears> that <throat> bomb would have probably killed all of us because... That, that pressure was the energy inside. has to go somewhere. If it can't dissipate going out of the uh, the vehicle, yeah, so it's going to just fry inside, whatever's inside. Yeah. yeah. So I'm like, I didn't like those, and I just sat there, and everyone just like, room stopped moving. Everyone's staring at me, like, what did he come up with that? And I'm, like, and then all of a sudden, I'm like staring. It said, look like I seen a fucking ghost. Like I sat there, and my eyes just widened. Everything hit me with Iraq, like it's flooding into my fucking brain, like the supply marine. The first bomb and everything fucking just coming at me. And I looked up and I started bawling my eyes. I'm like, I remember everything. And fucking, it's like she did that on purpose. Like she knew that was going to happen. She just came in like, oh, so what happened to these combat locks? And I spit it out before I even remembered it. And then all of a sudden I fucking remembered it. So like my memory slowly coming back. I know I knew who I am and what happened with everything. And uh, now it's my recovery time. Because I need to learn to walk, learn to talk, and live <laughs> all over again. And, of course, that was on my cover of my book. You can see I'm 120 pounds. Doctor said, probably never going to walk again normally mm-hmm. or independently. I'm always going to need a forearm walk or forearm, or, uh, forearm crutches yep. or a wheelchair bound the rest of my life. Because my mangled bones and all my muscle atrophy, brain damage, all this bullshit. Like, worst case scenario, I know they probably didn't mean it. They, they got to give you worst case scenario. Just in case I don't get that high, then I'm still expecting yeah. that. And if you get higher, then so be it. That's good. 
So like, I'm never supposed to walk again independently. And of course, I'm a stubborn ass Marine. My challenge accepted. So, <laughs> I'm, like I'm, I'm so happy. I got everything back. And no adult likes hearing that though. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're not going to hear that. that yeah. So I'm walking in my forearm, my platform walker, where it's an actual walker where you have each side. It's like a square around you to walk. Well, I had to use a platform walker where I put my elbows up and support my weight on my elbows more than my legs on my feet. But still, I took my first fucking step. That's why I got that shirt on both my before and after picture. I still have that shirt. I can't wear it no more because it's been through everything with me. Everything I've done since 2006 till now, that is my shirt. And I can't wear it no more. There's too many holes from all the shit I've been through and all the washing and all that stuff. So now I have it mounted in a frame that's going to be my shirt for the rest of my life. So I was walking. I was just so happy to take my first fucking steps walking. As they said, I was never going to walk again. Minus it wasn't really real steps because I'm on a platform walker. They're your steps, though. Yeah. Definitely remember that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then I remember in my room, whenever I wasn't in therapies, I was in speech, occupational, physical, like I said. When I was doing therapies, I was so dedicated to get the fucking walking. I'd walk around in my room. Like, just little steps back and forth and move. And I remember going in front of the bathroom where the mirror was. And I looked at myself. I remember where I was before, what you guys seen. I was a fucking badass shape back then. I looked at myself now, skin and fucking bones, mm-hmm. arms were yep. probably like the size of my freaking two fingers. I was tiny, and I was like, I was disgusted. I was like, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get fucking better. I'm gonna walk one of these days. I'm gonna be back to normal. Did Did you have any aspirations at the time when all this your memory started coming back of getting back over <laughs> there, or, um, or were you? Did they have you focused on your recovery, or did you know in your heart that, that was that, or? What was going through your mind as far as your career? Well, it's weird because when you look, be the outsider looking in, it's going to affect you way different, make you think way different. Sure. When you're actually going through it and being that person in the middle of it, it's not nearly as bad as everybody else will look at it. Mm-hmm. So me, all my focus was, I'm just going to live to see tomorrow or I, I don't know. It's so you didn't, you didn't care about, you weren't trying to rush back or you no, just, no, no, you I knew, just, that, okay. This is my new life. Yeah. Like, I got to just yeah. live day by day. And see where I just get as good as I can get, basically. Fo- yeah, focus on one thing at a time, and it, it wasn't, it didn't sink into my head at good. that point yeah. in time. So I was so young and dumb, and brain damage, brain injury. That shit's not a joke, though. The no. brain damage and the chemically induced coma and all that, because like I said, that that mm-hmm. anyone that's ever been through it, I mean, I mean, there's people out there that have that know this or listen. That that yep. shit is not a joke. Nope. And then when you add PTSD, combat yep. PTSD, yep. on top of it. That makes even things worse because of the parts of your brain. It's all like, scrambled. It's hazy. Yep. You're just, and then yeah, PTSD causes rage, react yep. before you think, anger, aggression. and. Well, they tell you that in speech therapy too and occupational or whatever mm-hmm. when they talk about how mad you get about – like oh, yeah. doing a simple maze, they make you do that also where yep. you have it's to trace just, through a maze. And if you can't make it out because you just continuously keep hitting the walls and going the wrong ways, they're like, he's just going back to – what he thinks is right, and it's not looking forward to find the hmm. trying to play chess or whatever else mm-hmm. or something where you can see forward. You just get pissed. Yeah, oh yeah. You just get angry at everything. And then, then that's a thing because <clears throat> the reasoning part of your brain, the frontal lobe of your brain, that's your reasoning. Yeah, that's what took damage <clears throat> on me. I have no reasoning whatsoever when it comes to confrontation or anything. <laughs> I go straight to my adrenaline gland, mm-hmm. and that's where my training, being a marine, react before you think, attack with rage and aggression. Adrenaline grand, rage and aggression, it's blow up every time. Mm-hmm. And of course, you can ask everybody that knows me. I've lost a lot of family, a lot of friends because of my rage and aggression. 
and my adrenaline fucking rush with all that. But and I'll get back to that later as well. But then, so I'm focused on just whatever. I'm here. I can't do nothing. This four months of this shit. And finally, I was to the point where I was doing pretty decent. I was doing occupational therapy. They had me. I think I have a picture in here as well. They had me doing normal living tasks. Like putting stuff in a washer. Where I had to push my wheelchair up to the washer. And I had to transfer from a wheelchair. Grab the washer. Stand up. And be able to put stuff in the washer. Being independent. They got to get you back on your feet. You know, walking up steps is a hard thing at a certain point. They got to teach you all those things. Well, I see. I had to teach myself. Now, were you wearing a diaper at this point still? (laughs) No, I'm I'm serious. I know. I've been through this. So, not IED and all that, but from the car accident. There's a point where, because like you said, you couldn't control your bodily functions and all that, certain things. They just don't. You have to. Like, I remember saying sorry to the one guy that had to change me once. As an adult human being, when you get your memory back, like what Brian said. Because it's just shit you can't do. It's like being a baby. So, yeah, yeah baby, being a baby. Exactly. Know. Right. You have to re And yeah, right it. here. Here's me doing the washers and my pool therapy. <clears throat> like, I've had to do it all. The simplest stuff, though, right? Just Yeah, simplest yeah. shit. That's occupational therapy for you. Yeah. Then they do yeah. the problem-solving skills, cognitive yep. skills. And that's what took the biggest damage on me is my cognitive thinking. Mm-hmm. And so that... It, are you living at home when all this is going on? Or are you still no, in the hospital? No, I'm still... I mean, actually, now I went from Bethesda, Maryland with my coma and surgeries and went to Virginia at a McGuire Medical VA in Virginia and... What town is that in? Uh, fucking... Richmond. Richmond, Virginia. Okay. So, <laughs> yeah. so how long is this therapy, like, taking? It all Months? Day. Years? Yeah. No, what? no. So I'm in, the, I'm in full-time for four months. So okay. this is... I'm just kind of going forward but still staying on track. So I was in full-time therapy for four months, all this shit. And then I would have to go back to Bethesda for another surgery. And I had to come back and finish my therapy. And then after four months, they were like, I think you should, you, you're you good enough to go home and do outpatient therapy. Yep. So I'm like, oh, cool. I get to go home. Yay. And what the hell do I get to look forward to? Because I can't go home and jump on a four-wheeler. I'm a huge four-wheeler off-road guy. Can't go jump on a four wheeler and go ride the trails or can't go to the property and do yeah, your stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, and I can't go play sports. I'm a yeah. huge. I love sports. I played sports my whole life, and of course dropped out because of the military. But I can't go play, go to a ball, or I can't go running. I can't go do the shit that I always do because I'm so active and all that. I'm like, so I just got to go home and do the same shit that I'm doing now in the hospital. Except now my mom's got to take care of me like I'm a little fucking kid again. Yep. So I got to go home and live with my mom, and my mom, of course, being my fucking loving mother, I probably made her happy because I was back at home. Yeah, because was... you needed her again. She had yeah. a purpose. Well, you being confrontational with yeah. your parents or your mom again. That, that's be... very common yeah. with mothers, yeah. especially like when they after like their youngest child gets old enough. Like the, the moms miss being needed like that. They they want to have yep. more kids. And it's like, yep. hey, honey, we've talked about this. Like, no, we're not doing that. It's it's yeah. it's, very, it's very common. It's it's a motherly thing. Oh yeah, and so she and then luckily her boss. Her manager, or whatever. Yeah, it was nice about it. Yeah, she, you know, where Medical View Care Center is. Yeah, that's where yeah. she was working. Yep. And her boss said, "Hey, you're welcome. Welcome back. How's Brian doing?" And <laughs> like, oh, well, now I have this big therapy schedule behind Brian. She's got to load my wheelchair up every fucking time. Take me to my therapy. Your mom's job was you. Yeah, yeah. he's like, yeah. he's like, <laughs> that's exactly what he said. Yeah, that's hey, that's all you. He's like, take off when you need. And come back when you need, whenever you can. As long as you get your work done, I don't care. So they, he, my, he was giving my mom all this time, taking me all my therapies every day. So finally, I got to the point where 
speech pissed me the fuck off because <laughs> and I, the anger stuff yeah yeah the anger, yep. so i'm yep. like i know yep. what fuck all you guys i don't want to even take occupational no more i want to do it i want to do yep. speech i want to focus on walking so i took physical therapy oh i dropped everything is edwin shaw yeah in akron. akron that's yeah. where we yeah, saw yeah, you up there yeah. a couple times yeah. yeah that's right that's where i did my outpatient and this is 07 06. Right. Okay. Yeah. So at the end of 06. It was June of 06. Okay. Through the end of the year. So four and all months. That. Yeah. I was at the yep. end of the year. I came home. I yep. think it was like September around. Yep. So I did a bunch of fucking ceremonies and welcome home parties and all this shit yeah. before I started all my therapy. And so I did about a year of outpatient therapy of just physical therapy, trying mm-hmm. to get better. What well, got to the point where I was able to drive. So I was, I told my mom, okay, thanks for everything you fucking done. You have put your life on hold. My stepdad thankful he was at the house he was taking care of my little brother and sister and all the bills and the house everything my mom stayed with me took care of me my mom didn't care about nothing in her life except me taking care of me and i was like mom you're done thank you so much for what you've done she got me even more money out of the tgsli the life insurance only gave me like fifty thousand dollars for my injuries Uh and my mom's like oh hell no he's making unsafe transfers from his wheelchair so therefore, he—that's the last point he needs to get seventy-five thousand. So because of her, they sent me another twenty-five thousand dollar check. Like she literally all day reading and studying this and that, and yeah. she was like, "My fucking." She was momming you. Yeah, and so yeah. she—I was like, "Mom, you did enough for me. I gotta do my therapy for myself." So I'm driving with my girlfriend Danielle. I'm still there. living yeah, at home at the time, though. Yeah, still living okay. at home. I was doing my own driving and shit, which I'm not allowed to drive because all the meds that I was on methadone, which is heroin yeah i was on methadone neurotin antidepressants and all these fucking pills that had me cloudy from all the meds i was on and all that brain damage injury and all this shit they told me i'm not allowed to drive but you can't tell me i can't fucking do nothing right yeah don't, that made me don't tell do me more. That, so yeah. i'm driving my ass to therapy and then finally got to the point where i'm like i, I, I can't do this no more they can't push me to my limits mm-hmm. i'm to the point now where i'm wanting it so fucking bad to get better but by book, by law, and all they're going bullshit, too slow for you. Yeah, they yeah. can't push me to my limits because if I get hurt, it's on their ass. Yeah. So they just do the simple movement stuff. Yep. I lay down. Same shit yeah. every day, where so, it's like this isn't making me better. Yeah, I'm now I'm at a yep. I'm at a fucking standstill. Like I can't, I'm not walking yet, and all this stuff. I'm like, I need to go do it myself. Yep. So I dropped therapy after a year. So I got about a whole year and a half, almost two years of therapy, completely under my belt. But I'm to the point where. I know my limits. I know what I can do, what I'm capable of doing. If I fail, then I fix it and I keep going, all this stuff. I'm like, I want to do this myself. And Christmas Eve, I think it was, of 2006. Yeah, it's Christmas Eve 2006. This is where I decided I'm done letting them do that. I'm doing it myself. Took my first steps walking with nothing. Yeah. Danielle, you remember Danielle, yeah. my girlfriend at the time, it was her work party for the license bureau where she worked and it was at her boss's work house for the work party and i had that weird remember how i told you that weird feeling i had with uh before i hit the bomb i had that weird rush of confidence and i just out of nowhere i'm like i'm done and of course she like kind of hovers down thinking since we isolated so much she's like what do you mean you're done i'm like i'm done with not being able to walk and I don't know where the fucking confidence came from. I went straight from, oh, this sucks. I'm going to go ha- crutch my happy ass in yeah. the freaking house and get all the thank yous and I uh, hope that everything's better. I'm like, I'm walking. So we pull in. 
and there's a small distance from the car to the house. I was like, I got out of the car. I had to put my feet down. I had to turn my body, push on the chair to stand up. And I stand up, and I'm just like wobbly, and, and I stutter step in, keep my balance. And, of course, no leg muscles, no nothing, because I'm so small still. And I walk my ass to that house, stumbling. like I'm, I'm, I'm looking like a dinosaur or a freaking like a baby giraffe. Yeah, a yeah. baby giraffe yeah. trying to walk because yeah. I don't have a strength for it. And I get to the house, and her mom worked with her at the license bureau. She seen me coming, and she, like, frantically opened the door, seeing me walk without my crutches, thinking I forgot, or I don't know what the hell she was thinking. So I came in the house, and I crashed, and the first thing I could find. I was so painful and weak and exhausting. And I'm like, this is it. I was like, yeah, I'm going to fucking do it. Yep. And then I was like, but it's got to do baby steps. So there for a while, after that, I'm going from living room to end of the living room. Crash on the couch. Going back to the living room. I have nothing to do. I have nothing in life going for me except to recover and be better. So that's all I do all day. Small distances. And then before you know, I'm going from the end of the living room into the bathroom, in the kitchen, through small distance, constantly. It's like my workout routine now. That's how I strengthen. And then before you know it, I'm going longer, and then longer. And then before you know it, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to try going to the going to Walmart. I walk to Walmart, sit down on the little benches for the shoe things, rest up a little bit, and then go walk a little bit somewhere else, go crash, and just it took me so much time to get back normal. It's the end of 07 it took me before I was actually comfortable with being on my feet. And then so then mid mid year 2007, still not able to walk that good. I up like the stairs I told you about or yeah. we were talking about earlier. I had to move back in with my mom because I couldn't do steps. Yeah. My apartment had too many. So that's, that's why, why that's where I had to teach myself. Yeah. It got to the point where I couldn't walk upstairs. I had to crawl up. Mm-hmm. Like I can put my, plant my feet on a step and I can crawl up the stairs. I had to do that for the longest time. Well, my independent, stubborn ways, I wanted a house now. I got all this money from Social Security. I had all this money from the VA. I mean, not from the VA, from the government for getting fucked up. I'm like, I'm ready for a house. I want to be independent. I want to say I own a house. So, 21 years old. You got a lot of steps there. Well, it's 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 a bi-level house. Yeah. yeah. So, I got like four or five stairs from my little porch. Good training. And then you go one step. And then you got another six, seven steps to go on the top yeah. level. But I didn't care because I'm getting a right. freaking house. Like yeah. I'm, I'm 21 years old, 100% disabled, and I get my own freaking house. Like, it's awesome. So I moved into my house in July of 07 and still continuing therapy. And I'm like, okay, I, I got to push myself. I'm taking my life in my own hands. Got my own house. I'm independent. Now I need to get to normal and be able to live a normal, happy life, American life in a home. With my girlfriend, Danielle, which I was planning on wanting to fucking marry and have a family with her. And that's where it all began with the nightmares and all that stuff. So I got to the point where I'm comfortable walking. I'm not doing therapy. And what do you think I turn to? The bar. Drugs and alcohol, yeah. Well, not drugs. Just the alcohol. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've, stayed, I've been smart enough to stay away from drugs. So I watched too many people die and ruin their lives. But the alcohol, I've watched people. But you're also a partier before all of this happened, where you knew a little bit that it was a good time and it made you feel better and Mm -hmm. all that. So I mean, obviously, what else? I mean, what else are you gonna do? So So, I I live right up the road from the hometown bar, and that's fucking quick way to get there and back. Every night, I was down there drinking my fucking life away, 
I'm, I'm still on active duty on med hold in the Marine Corps, and I was attached to 325, the one that took the big hit in 2005 in Haditha when the mm-hmm. bombs started getting big. I was attached to them, weapons company, to take care of me medically and financially and all that bullshit admin stuff. So I was still on med hold, but I dropped my therapy. They didn't know that, and I'm just living the fuck party life now. I'm going to the bars every fucking night, just stumbling my way in there, sitting down at the bar drinking. And everybody knew me because I was all over the news, newspapers, all this shit did stuff on me. So I was very well known in public around where I lived. And so that just made drinking. Still a young guy, fun. though. Probably not paying yeah, for a lot yeah. of those drinks, I'd imagine. Yeah. No, no, I mean, I, a lot of them were bought for me, yeah. but of course, they don't want to do it all the time. Yeah, they yeah. see me out of time, like, okay, I bought you one. <laughs> yeah. this, you're on your own. So I spent all my You fucking, also spend money, though, when you yeah, get money. Yeah, oh, I spend a age. lot of fucking yeah. money. So whenever I... I was spending my active duty checks. I was still getting hazardous duty pay because we get hazardous duty pay when you go to Iraq. Yeah. Since I got fucked up and I'm in med hole because I had from combat, let me keep my hazardous duty pay. So I'm making a decent amount, like not not enough to live super happy, but enough to make it. I'm spending all my checks on alcohol, and luckily all that money I had saved up from the TDSLI and the Social Security, I had I was on overdraft protection. So whenever I'd overdraft my checking. It just pulled out my savings. So my fit savings just drop, 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 and dropping. And I was like, I just couldn't get out of the slump of the band-aid of my demons and the pain and misery that I was in came to a halt when I drank. I was numb to the world. I was numb from pain. I am numb from It was your stress. escape. That's yeah. my it escape. It was how to get away from yep. it. Yeah. And that's why a lot of people turn to alcohol or other drugs or what have mm-hmm. you. I mean, yeah, that's a that's big thing with vets. That's why, because that's their escape from it all. So I'm just my my life is just going downhill, and I was like, I have nothing to live for. My dream, my lifelong dream, just fucking shattered in front of my face. Now they're kicking me out on disability, put me on disability, and I can't stay in the Marine Corps, no matter how much I beg and pleaded. Put me on recruiter's assistance, or put me on admin. Do me, let me stay in the Marine Corps. This is my fucking dream. I want to stay yeah. in, and that's all I've lived for. It's all I wanted to do. And that short time in the Marine Corps, one year, four months exactly. February 6, 05, I join. June 06, 2006, I get blown up, technically kicked out. So I was a short-ass time in the Marine Corps. I didn't get to fulfill my term. I didn't get to fulfill my enlistment. And I was like, now I'm back at home. Damaged, destroyed, mentally drained, just everything is just going to fucking eat me alive. I got a long stretch of empty space until I die. I have not, nothing. So I'm alcohol. That's my fucking fix. And the only thing I had to look forward to. Well, during them party escapades, going back to everything happened for a reason, I made, I have a lot of friends, and I went to a party on the other side of town, and I got in a wrestling match just dicking around with a Barberton wrestler, a big-time Barberton wrestler, which I just did normal little wrestling moves he learned off WWF, and little neighborhood fighting shit that I had to grow up with doing. And I made him tap out through a chokehold with the Marine Corps martial arts. Just like I got mounted his back, put him in a rear naked choke, and choked him out, and he tapped out. And then everyone at the party, of course, they didn't know nothing. Like, dude, you need to do the MMA. This is when it was just becoming pretty big, <laughs> uh, too, wasn't yeah, it? Like yeah. it, was, it was becoming a oh, big, yeah, big thing. This, so this is in 2008 yeah. when I got in this match, this little matchup. And this stuff started blowing up. And that's, that's like right when Anderson yeah. Silver was like yeah. coming on the scene. Yeah. Was this when you did Nutter and all that? Yeah, so okay. then, yeah, so I'm like. The fuck is MMA? Yeah, I'm like Mama. Or what is that? Mama. They're like that UFC shit you see on TV. I'm like, oh yeah, man. 
I'm like, oh yeah, by the way, don't be mad because triple guy beat you. I'm like, I'll go check it out. <laughs> so then uh, next day, my buddy robbed along. I'm not sure if you remember him. I remember him. Yeah. yeah, ball guy. Yep. Yeah. Well, I'm like, dude, let's go check out this MMA gym. I'm like, I don't even fuck MMA is mixed martial arts. I'm like, oh. I didn't know it was called MMA. I thought it was called UFC. Yeah. Like, right, whatever. Right, but that everyone started learning. Ultimate all. fighting. Yeah, or yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They're like, these guys are crazy. So I'm like, okay. Yeah. I went and the, the gym is one of them. And not like a fucking poor, poor gym. But you could definitely tell. It was a it's store, an old warehouse, right? A storage unit. Yeah, storage that, unit. Yeah. With, that was nothing in the middle. So Nick Nutter and Neil Nutter. Nick Nutter fought, fought with Mark Coleman back in the day when it was no holds barred. Bare-fisted, wore yeah. shoes. You could headbutt, do whatever. Back when Nick Nutter fought. Well, Mark Coleman was a Ohio State wrestler. He's a UFC legend. Mm-hmm. And he was an Ohio State wrestling coach back when Nick Nutter was wrestling for Ohio State. And Mark Coleman said, dude, you really need to get into Roholtz bar fighting. So Mark Coleman drug Nick Nutter into Roholtz bar fighting. And he quit because he took a nasty knockout with his Igor Bob changing little pussy, you fucking faggot. But... <laughs> I, I can't stand him. I hope. Apparently, yeah, you yeah. don't like it. <laughs> well, no, because that's okay. I'm going to mix it up a bit. Nick Nutter <laughs> fought this guy twice. He lost both times. But the first time he fought him, it was a long, there was no rounds. It was one long fight till someone lost. It was done, yeah. Well, Nick Nutter had this motherfucker mounted on the ground. Nick Nutter was a stand up fighter. He was one of the best wrestlers in college. He's like top 10 in college in wrestling. So he was take his fighters to the ground. He's like, he's like as big as, he's bigger than me. Yeah. He would just fucking manhandle everybody. He would do an open palm smack on the head, and they were just pretty much done. Well, Igor Volchanchin tapped out like twice, I think it was, in the fight, but the ref didn't see it. So the second time he tapped out, Nick kind of let go because he thought the round was over, but the ref didn't do nothing. So Igor got on top of him, I think headbutted him, and then Nick ended up losing the match. Well, he was pissed, so he set up a rematch. Well, now Igor knows. Nick Nutter is all ground. He, he shoots on everybody. First opening thing or first couple punches thrown, Nick shoots. That's all he was waiting for. Nick was going to shoot on me. So then as Nick shot, I'm just going to throw a knee. Well, second match, Nick threw like two punches, shot right away. And all Igor did was a nasty knee, like a sloppy nasty knee, connected perfectly on Nick Nutter, knocked him out cold like for a while. So then Nick quit fighting after that. That's why I'm so pissed because Nick could have probably been UFC. He could have been UFC legend if Igor didn't, if that fucking ref caught Igor tapping out. <laughs> he would have just kept fighting and fighting, fighting. We took that nasty knockout and do a whole other segment with Brian in this one. <laughs> yeah, fuck, yeah, Let's get Igor and uh, yeah. and the other guy, uh, another yeah. on the on yeah. the podcast. Oh, okay. So okay, so then I got into mixed martial arts and took all my time. MMA, and then I got into, they turned me into a trainer, and then from a trainer, I started training people at the rec center, the Ritman rec center, and I'll go from MMA in the morning, rec center right after to go train people. Are you still doing rehab at this time? Like, you're still no, working on you? or you're just... Yeah, just all me, and I'm just, now I'm trying to find my place in life. Okay. I need to find a belonging or a dream. There's something to do, because you've yeah. been medically retired from the military. Mm-hmm, nothing, so you're, you're not working, so you got all this time on your hands, so yeah. got to do something. Yep, so I go to the gym, train people, then Nate, my little brother, got into bodybuilding after high school. So I do morning MMA, gym after MMA, work out with Nate after school bodybuilding, and then back into MMA practice at night. Wouldn't miss a fight, wouldn't miss practice, wouldn't do nothing. This gym was my fucking life. All the members, all the fighters, everybody. And then it was a point where I'm going, I shot 
right up in weight because I was. I was Brian's like, not 120 pounds anymore. Yeah, no, I mean, maybe that left bicep <laughs> might be. I'm like, I'm like 185 now yeah. with all the working out and I'm eating like a slob that helped put on weight and working out hard on top of it. So I'm gaining weight all day. The peak I got in MMA time was 205, and that was still big to everybody. But I'm looking back on 205, I'm like, I look like a little pussy back then. But whatever, yeah. And then uh, in the middle of all that, the MMA gym closed down in 2012. So I'm I'm bouncing now at the at Lux nightclub, turning a huge bouncer. Everybody fucking knew me even more now because I'm a bouncer at one of the hottest nightclubs, and my story's flying everywhere. So the Cleveland Indians... Tech or uh, got a hold of VA. VA is like we uh we need a motivated marine, we need an inspiration. He's like, okay, well I'll contact Captain Captain Zerk and the World Warrior Project. He was my captain, and they're like, we need a marine that's doing good in life, doing, doing inspiration, doing something himself. He's like, Brian Carpenter. Like everybody knows my story and like what the hell I'm doing. It's crazy to them because I went from a couple of years ago I couldn't fucking walk, and now I'm mixed martial arts training yeah. and bodybuilding and on bouncing bouncing people's heads off fucking windows and shit <laughs> and they're like oh dang that's nuts so i just wrote them an email what happened with injuries what i'm doing now and like we want you to throw the pitch for us in 2012 april 2012 ceremonial opening pitch i'm like cool i didn't even know what the fuck that was either and i'm like all right because i'm not big in sports so then when i put it on facebook blew the fuck up went viral i was like i can't believe you get to do this and i'm like What's the big fucking I know, deal? Like, like, look what else I've done in my yeah. life. Yeah. Like, right. like, I'm just throwing out a pitch here. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I'm not going to be on the team and make millions. I'm just throwing a fucking pitch for some shit. So I'm like, all right, well, it's going to be on national TV or live TV, so I'm going to make it look good. Me and my little brother, Nate, went to the ball fields, and I was practicing. I was going to launch that fucker in there. Yeah. I was going to make it look <laughs> badass. Not like, uh, I think it was Obama and fucking... Justin Bieber. Oh, a lot of them. 50 Cent. Yeah. Got yeah. thrown it yeah, 90 degrees to the right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Fuck, I'm like, I'm going to be badass. I'm going to make fucking history by making this badass pitch. So then come time, I did a pregame interview called Good Company with Channel 3 News. They did a big old fucking interview on me, and then that just blew my name up with all the crowd of fucking Indians. So I go back, line up, and I was with the Clydesdale wagon, Clydesdale horses in the wagon. Mm. Uh, they took me around the field and they introduced my story. But I came out the fucking home run fence and they're like, introducing Brian Carpenter. Everyone's staring at me before, like, who the fuck is this guy? Did you forget to get off the wagons or going around? Because <laughs> I was wearing that Indians jersey. I couldn't yeah. wear my dress blue, so I outgrew them and shit. So they gave me an Indians jersey. It says Carpenter number one to go off to the pitch and throw. So I'm coming out just looking at everyone. And they're like, give me that weird look, like, what the fuck is this kid doing? And I got the Dalmatian, like, licking me and jumping all over me. And then, like, ladies and gentlemen, introducing Brian Carpenter, Iraq, injury, this, this, and this. And next thing you know, the crowd fucking trying to jump on me, like, taking pictures, and they're crying and waving, trying to reach out and touch me. And I'm like, hell yeah, this is cool. <laughs> so, then like, so I'm walking on, the flies of wagon stops. And then, of course, my physical injuries are still kind of limited with that. I had this tiny-ass little bar to come down from this tall-ass wagon. And I couldn't find... I can't really feel my feet that bad because I'm on my nerve damage. So I couldn't feel my feet was placed. So I had to keep looking, put my foot, and I'd look again. The guy come running over to me that I thought I needed help. And I jumped down. And I looked at him like... <laughs> Fuck. And he's like, all right, man. Sold out crowd. Here's the ball. Throw a little bit higher because the mound sits up a little bit more at home plate. So you want to throw a little bit higher so you don't biff it. And that's what fucks everybody up. I'm like, ah, Cool. 
put out my hand, and then nerves started going. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> so, like, another story, my, I had a blackout moment, or not, not a blackout moment, one of them Hollywood moments of my hearing went out. Yeah. And from the stress, and then I, it's like my my nerves came in, gave me the ball, hearing went out. Now, back on one of my stories in my book, we were at ECB-5, and we took heavy fire from across the river, recovering a vehicle, and screams of war, sounds of war, overwhelmed my brain, and my my hearing went out. And then, of course, we hear a clunk, clunk, clunk from our 50 cow, and then hearing came back once we stre- the stress was gone. So my vision, or my fucking hearing, went out again as he gave me the ball as I walked into the mound. They announced me walking out to the mound, throwing off ceremony, opening pitch, and like, caught by... Carlos Baerga, the crowd went fucking nuts. And that's when my hearing went out. I'm like, oh shit. So I walk up to the fucking mound. Of course, Iraq is playing in my head now because oh my last time I've dumped, been in this situation yeah. was in Iraq. And I don't know, I don't know what kind of look I had, but I looked down and I turned around, and looked at Carlos, and Carlos not, went down and he nodded. And as soon as I released the ball, everything came back. And decent pitch. I mean, if it was left handed batter, I probably would have hit him. But Carlos, like, snapped it in real quick yeah, and made yeah. it look good, and fucking crowd went nuts. I'm like, oh, that's good. But I didn't throw it as hard as I wanted to yeah, because— That's probably a good thing. Yeah, I was yeah, used, I yeah, used yeah. to flat on flat, not up here. If, if I would have launched it in, <laughs> it would have went straight in the ground or something like that. So I just—I kind of lobbed it in. Yeah. But on the video, it looks like a little bit faster than what it actually was in person. Crowd went nuts, and then I walked up to Carlos, told him I got the—I pretended to be him as a little kid growing up in oh, baseball, yeah. and he thanked me for my service, and— Signed the ball for me and gave it to me, which I have fucking mounted since 2012. That's awesome, man. And then, of course, went to where I bounced afterwards, and I walked through, went back to go to my seating they put me in, and I could not get to my fucking seat. Yeah, everybody seat, saw man. that. Everybody uh, heard about it. So. Everyone was Everything just blew up. Yeah, swarming me and news. These Channel Five News, Channel Three News, all these news crews and newspapers pulling me aside for a story and all this shit. I'm like, goddamn. So I left the fucking stage or left the stadium to take a breather. Uh, my girlfriend Cheyenne at the time, I'm not sure if you remember Cheyenne, but she was she was with me and we went out to go take a step out for a breather and there's like a bunch of restaurants where I saw the right outside the stadium and I walked into the one and go fucking figure. The bouncer's like, Hey, are you the one who just threw the pitch? I'm like, Yeah, I had to take a breather, man. And he fucking announced it coming oh, in. Oh great, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I'm walking in, everyone's like hooting and hollering and clapping and I walk to the bar, order food and a couple of drinks and Sit there bullshitting with everybody, of course. I was asking questions. And then I'm like, all right, got to get back before the game is over and stuff. And I'm like, can you just cast me out, bartender? And like, get out of here, Brian. I got it. And then someone yeah. else like, no, I'll fucking pay yeah, for it. Yeah, it's a competition. Yeah, now I'm yeah. like yeah. fucking gladiator clash in the middle. Yeah. And I'll fucking pay my yeah, I haven't got another yeah. one about it. No, no. Yeah. I'm like, man, I'm going to become a celebrity now because this is pretty badass. And then, of course, I went home and then and I made Jim shut down, pitch in Marines, all these dreams just keep fucking sliding out from underneath me. And I'm like, I need up drive in life again. I'm ended up back at the bars because I have nothing to do. And the mid gym's gone. I'm just doing bouncing and bars is all I'm doing. And I need another, I need an outlet. So then I ran into a buddy I went to the career center with, and he is now a firefighter in Orville. And he got together with me. He's like, I hey, do come to my fire station. I'll show you the trucks, the equipment, tell you the stories and. I'm like, fuck yeah. It's like, this is a badass job. It's adrenaline. I love adrenaline. That's what I base my life off of. So, of course, talked to the VA, got my VA GI Bill. And then since I'm 100% disabled, 
I was on this chapter 11 or chapter 13 or some shit where they pay me and 100% of my tuition to go to college. So I'm getting my disability, plus they're paying me to go to college, and they're paying my college. I found the Fire Academy in Canton at uh, Stark State. That was the best fire academy in Ohio, one of the best ones in Ohio. So I signed up for that, joined the fire academy, and had my whole process of like training to be a Marine, but I'm training to be a firefighter now, and this is my new dream. Just like hardcore, like the Marine Corps was, being a firefighter. Like, I'm not going to face danger. I'm going to do all this. Like, I want I want to live my life. Well, then, unfortunately, I'm disabled after the fire academy. I made it look like a joke physically. Mentally, it was a problem because my cognitive thinking and my test-taking skills and all that shit, I don't have the mental capacity to withhold knowledge. Struggle with the state test. I struggle with the test to pass, but I passed them. And I had my Firefighter 2 license, which is your 240, which all firefighters know. And then I started applying everywhere. Full-time, part-time, volunteer. Nobody was calling me back. Remember, the economy's still rough at this time from the crash we went through in 2012. So I'm like, okay, whatever. I'll continue basic EMT, and I was going to go to my other required classes to take paramedic school. And I was going to work, keep searching for a job in between since everything's fucking t- paid for. I just got to start working. They ain't got to spend no money on me. I'm like, okay, I just keep applying, applying, applying. And then it got to the point now where my brain injury, brain damage, memory... Rage, everything's just getting to me. I'd go to basic EMT, pass with flying colors. That's what I wanted to do. That was my dream. So I was doing perfect at basic EMT. Then I'd go to critical analysis for the medical division. Then I'd go to ethics after that. And the critical analysis would fucking slam us with work. I'm like, oh, wait, what the fuck happened in basic EMT? I'll forget everything. So every day was a new fucking day. And then I'd go to ethics and they would slam us in critical analysis. I'll forget so I had to end up dropping out because I was going to fail. If I fail, I got to pay back the VA everything they paid for me for my degree. So I just begged for mercy. You're like, yeah, brain damage, brain injury, all your problems, arthritis coming back, couldn't get to the gym, all right? So you're clear. I had to hang that up, that dream up. I'm like, now what the fuck do I got to do? I'm, I'm at the fucking mountain, still doing security at all these places, like tattoo companies, private members, clubs, <laughs> bars. I'm doing security. And a couple of firefighters said, you're not getting hired because you are 100% disabled and you're now a liability to them, which they're not going to admit that to you because that's the disability discrimination. Mm-hmm. It's like, but you're not, they're just going to say you're not qualified enough if they found someone better. I'm like, oh, that's cool. Like, oh, whatever, I'll just let it go. So now I'm back to square one, back in the bars, partying, drinking my life away. I have nothing to look forward to. And my other job I went to, the guy, the guy that was doing the check, and he's like, dude, with your background, the shit you've been through so far, you need to write a book. There it is. And I'm like, oh, are you kidding me? You can't even pay me to read a book. I don't <laughs> fucking write one. And I'm like, all right, whatever, dude. I just ignored it. And then days later, I'm like sitting at home, like there's nothing to do. I'm losing all my friends. I'm bored all the time. I'm like, fuck it. I'll just jot down some shit and I'll hire a ghostwriter to fucking do it for me. I started writing. I'm like, huh, it got interesting. So I put a little more detail in it. And next thing you know, four hours a fucking day, every day, all I want to do is write. Like, I'm writing my life on a piece of fucking paper, and I couldn't stop. It's so, it was like addicting, and like, I was hooked. Every day, four hours, I got calluses. Again, it was, it was a release. It was a way to get it out there. That is a different way to deal with it. Write your life on a piece of paper, and realize how much better you feel. And I look back on a lot of situations I've been through. I should have acted like this way, or should have treated it that way, instead of the way I did. 
But you're rereading it, and it's teaching yeah. you while you're rereading you, it. Yep. You can you can definitely school your own life by putting on a piece of paper, writing about it. Oh, I actually heard yeah. something recently, like done with a study, that they said writing down your own thoughts and feelings of what's going on is actually mm-hmm. almost as important as like going to therapy. That's better. They, 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 yeah. therapy. Well, I mean, yeah. technically, I think you can probably, if you get to a good therapist, you can probably get more resolved that way. Obviously, yeah. the, the whole idea of therapy, obviously, is self discovery. They're just leading you down the path. Yeah, but. They, they said that it's almost as beneficial. So if you can't afford therapy or some people are too pig-headed to go or, oh, I'm not going to therapy. That's for, like, write it down. Write, write it down. Write it down. I swear to everything, writing it down will heal you so fucking much. So I started writing and I got to the point where this first book, I'm ta- I wrote the book as I'm talking to you guys, author's voice, nothing professional at all. I'm not a real professional writer. I don't know big words. I don't know. I just wrote how I'm talking to you right now. I pretty much told you my whole book that you're gonna if you if you read it, I just pretty much told you the whole book, but it's written down now. So then I did, applied my work to get it published into a book, and then I then I realized the publishing world is not a fucking joke. It is so complicated, so so patient and drawn out, and you you better go in with the fucking mind in the publishing world to not get fucking ripped off because there's more snakes in the publishing world. And there is in real life. Like, there's ten times more fucking people trying to rip you off and lie to you and get your money and all that shit. So I got it finally published and all my pictures added with everything I talked about. A lot of people don't believe my path. So this book has a picture of every fucking thing I talk about. From mixed martial arts to everything. So I talk about it so no one can say, you fucking lied. You know, I got pictures to fucking prove it. So I got the book put together. And then as soon as I posted it on social media, viral again. The first week, I was already on the Wadsworth TV show. They did a big old long TV show on Wadsworth. Then I was at the radio show right after that. Then I'm fucking lined up for motivational speakings everywhere. And I'm like, holy shit, this is this has brought me back alive. I was like, I got something to live for. Something to do. To. Yeah. When was the book published, Brian? The first one? Oh, January 2016 was okay. the first one. So it ended end of 15. It took me a few months to get it going published. So yeah, end of 15, the book ended. And what's it called? Never Ending Battle After Iraq, A Marine's Road to Recovery. Where can people buy that at? Now, I hard copy, unless you find someone else reselling it, which is dumb because they're a ridiculous price. <laughs> but you can get the ebook on Amazon. You go to Amazon, search Brian Carpenter or Never Ending Battle After Iraq, and you get the ebook. And that's the only way to purchase it now because my new book I have coming out is updated from – it's this whole book professionally written. Mm-hmm. And five years added now. My new book is current date to 2020. Okay, so it'll have the original in it, so they can still get that in print later if they wanted to. Yeah, but it's way better written. And you're going to add to it, so there's more information as well. Yeah, because this is 25,000 words right now. The new book needs to be 60,000 words for a publishing company to contract me and buy my work. So then if I get with the publishing company, this inspiration, this fucking motivation, this book that's changed a lot of lives, just being independent, is going to be spread throughout the world now. That's all I care about is I give people drive, motivation, and this and that to overcome injuries or disabilities or illnesses or problems at work, problems with family. You read my book and a lot, everybody even says they think they have it rough. They think they're having a hard time, but then they think of me, what I went through and where I'm at now. And if I could do that, then why the fuck can't get to get through what they do? And then I overcome my disabilities and they think their disability should be easy now because i made it look easy yeah which i'm going to say 
yeah, I make everything look easy, but trust me, it's fucking it's miserable. It's a lot of hard yeah. work. It's draining, miserable. I go through so much fucking pain, but I ignore yeah. the pain. And I just keep pushing because I know I can change somebody's fucking life because of my shell that everybody sees me. I make it look easy, so they think it should be easy. Yeah, I mean, so look at you. You can say, well, physically, like, you're it walking and you overcame so much physically. But mm-hmm. people people yep. see that, but they don't also see the, the constant pain, mental yeah. oh. mental and, you know, spiritual pain that comes along with yeah. living through that. You know, yeah, that, people, that doesn't go away. Yeah, and people think I'm completely, I look like I'm fucking healed, so I have no pain or disabilities. Mm-hmm. But they don't realize how much pain and anguish I fucking fight every day, even current today. I, I'm like, I'm sitting right now in a lot of fucking pain, but I'm so used to fighting it and fighting back. Yeah, it's, it's just unfortunate how you fight. live your life. It's yeah. Just, just Tell your story because you don't know who it's going to help affect or fix. Anybody. Yeah. Any fucking yeah. story. Doesn't matter what you've been through. Mm-hmm. Tell it. Just like you. Yeah. You went through a different thing with car accident. Yep. Well... I didn't go through a while. I went to a different kind of car accident. No, but you but, and I have been through the speech well, that's therapy. A, that's a good thing. It's like that. You have yeah. enough commonalities you can relate yeah. to each mm-hmm. other. Yeah. yeah. So you know, I that's the thing is, you, with your own me. struggles, you can relate to somebody else. Right. And you yeah. don't know who you're going to relate to. And it's like you don't know from being told you can't walk as an adult, you won't walk ever again, to slurring and drooling on yourself because you've had a brain trauma, whatever else, to where you can come to just, just do it. Mm-hmm. Don't say you can't. And uh, tell your story. Yeah. Never say. And my, my profile on Facebook, it's... B-R-Y-A-M Carpenter, if you want to look it up. But my profile picture, I did a photo shoot at one of the gyms I go to because they want to do advertisements and stuff. So the the picture is me, and then the little background picture is me in my coma with Sully. Yeah. The one you see, and the comment above it says, do not let what you cannot do interfere with what you can do. Yep. Big old motivational speech I live by, and that's why it's my profile picture now. And But yeah, that's why I tell everybody, no matter what position you are what life you have or what you're going through billions of people out there someone's going through that same exact shit and you could have taught me and i could have taught you shit because we're pretty much the same story yeah. and you would have opened your eyes up on something that i had mine closed yeah. about we can talk and about we it yeah talk about it uncensored humanity for a reason talk yeah. about it and then, well, i feel like we could keep going all day but yeah i feel we, like i'm just ready to get started i, I, know. I feel like yeah. we, ryan carpenter part two yeah, we, we gotta wrap yeah. this one up uh, Brian, where can people find you on Facebook and Instagram and all that kind of stuff? Well, Instagram is bcarpenter6606, which the date I got blown up on. And then, yeah, so a lot of people are going to be like, oh, like devil, what's devil, the devil number? What the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> and, but and then Facebook, just look up Wadsworth, Ohio, Brian, B-R-Y-A-N, Carpenter. And you'll see if you've got an author's page, people can go follow and yeah, do all yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah, and then Brian Carpenter author page. Once you go to my profile, you can find the author page and yeah. follow. And then there's obviously your book, The Never-Ending Battle After Iraq, A Marine's Road to Recovery, available on Amazon and ebook. Mm-hmm. And your new book will be coming out soon, so pay attention for details for mm-hmm. that. And uh, once that comes back out, I'm more than happy to have you back on. We yes, can talk please. about that and yeah. pimp that out again. So. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for your story. Thank you for your service. Thank you. And uh, thank you for your struggles because that's going to help other people live better lives, hopefully. Mm-hmm. So, so my, that's my, my main goal is. And everybody who listened, thank you for listening. And I hope you guys are motivated and can possibly read my story and help yourself out any. Absolutely. Boyos, always a pleasure. Yep. Yes, sir. Next we time. will see you guys next time. That's good shit.
Well, that wraps up another great episode. I'll tell you what, I think Brian could just go on for days. He just has stories and stories and stories that just keep on going. And what an amazing person and what a crazy journey he's had. I mean, it's, it's almost hard to believe. And I'm sitting here looking at all the stuff that, that he brought with him that proves it all. And it's all in his book. And it's, 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 it's amazing to think what somebody can really not only just survive, but really triumph and get through you know what i mean it's like when i first met him i never would have thought that, that he had all this crazy stuff go on with him he looks like just a normal guy who's who's big and strong and i i never would have guessed that he had all this adversity in his life it's, it's so crazy at some point about halfway through the show uh, brian's mic got super quiet i'm not sure what happened i'm unfortunately i'm not an audio engineer and nothing changed uh, in my equipment or anything, the settings, I, I don't know what happened, so I apologize for that. Hopefully you're still able to hear it, just have to turn it up a little bit. And then when the rest of us talk, hopefully we don't blow your ears out because our volume didn't change at all. So I'll have to play around with my equipment here and see if I can't figure out why that happened and make sure that doesn't happen in the, in the future because I'm sure it's going to be a little bit hard to hear Brian there for the, the second half of that podcast. So I apologize for that. And as we're kicking off this new year, uh, we're definitely pushing forward and trying to do some more fun things with the podcast. We've got to get things a little bit more organized. I've just been super busy, and I'm trying to get the whole video thing figured out. i got to get my studio finished and painted and do all that kind of stuff. So hopefully you guys will get to see our bright, shiny faces here soon. And by that, I just mean my big, ugly mugs. <laughs> as always, please please, please go out there and leave the show some review. That's how new people will find the show. Tell your friends, share it on social media, do all that fun stuff. And if you're enjoying yourselves, well, I hope you're enjoying yourselves because I certainly am enjoying myself. We always have a great time when we do the podcast. So that's all we have for this week. We will see you guys next time on Uncensored Humanity. <laughs>